Howard from the Podomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studio in California. It's episode 294 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Norm Hooten and Tim Young of Hooten Young. And as always, the Primetime Show is brought to you by Saga Cigars. Dayless Race introduced another chapter of the saga, Saga Celez. Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing idea of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celez is the perfect companion to admit those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celez carries a blend of Coyolo, Olor, and Puerto Cubano. Wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance, a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. Available in four sizes at an affordable price, be sure to ask your retailer for Saga Celez. And by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. Perdomo 20th anniversary brand requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scott is a family-owned and operating company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo 30th Anniversary, Perdomo Double H 12-year vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary line, Perdomo Abano bourbon barrel-aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Inenso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at perdomocigars.com. And by Cavalier Geneve. Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars. Smoke gold, stay gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. That's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. Visit your local tobacconist and join the movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently regarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by Cigar Industry Press. You want to follow them on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold, stay gold. And finally, by Drew Estate, dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black Cigars by anyone but Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Baby Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The All Maduro Black and Scars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso, perfect for those life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the California studios for the Primetime Show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime, episode 294. Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Will Cooper here. I am in the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage. And I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and colleague out in the Drew Estate Studios in California, Mr. Aaron Wilmes. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing good, yes. I'm do- yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying 66-degree uh, weather as we talk. Uh, nice. and it's, uh, it's raining, but that's the bad part, but I don't have to crank the heat up tonight in here, which is pretty nice. Uh, I got a new phone today. Really? Like, well, here's, what's great about having, uh, uh get, having, a, having someone in the house who works for Verizon, my, my oldest <laughs> son, I didn't have to do a thing, but yeah. I got nervous because the phone transfer happened this afternoon and I'm like, oh shoot, if I have to get hold of Allison or something with this show, I'm like, yeah. 
Um, but surprisingly, he got the thing done in an hour. I mean, everything transferred like flawlessly. So uh, nice. I was uh, not worried about that. Yeah. Still with iPhone and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yep. I still have two phones, unfortunately, but it's to separate uh, day job from non day job. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, so that works out really, really well. So, uh, so uh, I know we're gonna we're gonna get into our guests, and I know there's some stuff I want to talk about the Hall of Fame that happened this week. Yep. So I know we're gonna get into that in the second half. Uh, but first, let's bring in uh, our really special guest tonight. So I'm uh, pleased to welcome Norm Hooten, <laughs> Tim Young, and Allison Trainer of Hooten Young. Folks, welcome to primetime. Yes, we're, we're excited to be here tonight. Oh, honored Hello. to have both of you. Both of you, excuse me. Yeah, our pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Hope everyone is having a, a, a great Thursday and everything's going well. Um, I know, Tim, you said you're in Orlando. Uh, Norm, where are you based out of? I'm in South Georgia in a town called Tifton. It's about uh, 45 minutes north of the Florida line. But I w I've been in Orlando for the past 20 years or so, but I just recently moved up here. I was just in your area about two weeks ago, uh, and I, I was going to Tampa, so I drove through Orlando, and it was cold that weekend for Florida. I, I It was definitely it was in the 50s by the time I got to Tampa, so. Yeah, that's cold for Florida for yep. sure. Yep. And then we were and you joined left all your pants home, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and I also want to welcome out Coop in shorts. No, no one's ever happen. seen me in shorts. I don't. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't maybe think I've ever seen you in shorts. <laughs> I don't think you have. Uh, I have seen. I have seen him in shorts when he gets in the pool. Ah. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the only <laughs> time I've worn shorts. Um. It's uh, I, I have a little bit of a skin condition, so I'm a little sensitive about showing my, my unfortunately it hits my legs. So I don't often uh, wear shorts. That's the only it's not that I don't I'm a, it. It's yeah, the skin condition doesn't look great. So uh, but Allison, welcome as well. So, Allison, uh, thanks Hello. for setting this up. We do appreciate this. Allison is my little sister, by the way. So uh, <laughs> we, we are, we're we're we're. You know, we both share the same birthday, so that's what's important. Except she's yeah. a lot, lot young. Yeah. She's a lot younger than I am, so a lot younger. So you make it sound like you're 80 years old when you're not. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, you know what we like to do, uh, Norman Tim, is when we kind of kick this show off, uh, we always like to talk about uh the first cigar experience. Now we're not going to talk about yet how you got into the business or anything. We just want to really focus on. What was your first time smoking a premium cigar, and what can you recall about it, if you can? So uh, I'll start this one off with Norm first. Norm, can you re recount uh, recount that? Yeah, Coop, I, I certainly can. I I um I picked up cigars a little bit later in life, but um, my very first cigar was when I was a Army Special Forces soldier, and um, we had just. Um, raided uh, Manuel Noriega's house and uh, it was on Christmas and he had um, a box of cigars in his office and a box under his Christmas tree. So the team lit up some of his cigars uh, next to his Christmas tree and uh, took a picture of it. And that was my very, very first one. I think I turned green um, <laughs> on that one as, as well, but that was my, my very first cigar and, and very memorable event to go with it. 
that that's got to be yeah that's quite memorable yeah, it's, it's got to be one of the top top so, uh, first cigar that, stories that, out there that was 1989 <laughs> right when that happened it was yeah december I, yep i uh remember that well that was uh i remember that well just that year that was my first year out of college so i kind of remember that whole noriega thing yeah wow wow yeah i think i still have a picture of that floating around somewhere and i, I think wow. i had it hanging out of my mouth awkwardly in the photo but um and I think I smoked about half of it and got sick. And then, uh, um, but, but it grew from there. So it, it's, it, it's a habit that grew on me. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, who knows how well those were taken care of by him anyway. So, well, you might've had a good, you know, if you turned green, it may have been for a reason. So. Yeah. He had his own label. It was, uh, it was, uh, it said M A N on it and, and it was in gold. Uh, the bands were in gold leaf and an M A N was it stood for Manuel Antonio Noriega. Oh, interesting. And uh, so he had his own own uh, private label. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Tim, how about you? Well, it's interesting. I can't remember my first time on anything. But uh, <laughs> you know, but I will tell you this. Um, I didn't really get into cigars until I met Norm. And um, Norm and I, uh, we would smoke. I think I've got some Monte Cristo White Series cigars he and i were going back and forth drinking buffalo trays and uh we basically it's all we did when we first met each other we had a great time with each other sitting on each other's porch smoking and drinking and uh yeah so that's one i really remember i think i spoke to one in, in college one time and i think i um we called i inhaled it i think <laughs> after the second one i went back to the dorm room i think i threw up all of the damn place so there's a period of not smoking because of that, um, and of course, now after all my kids have left home, uh, I can now just smoke uh, at the house and not, don't worry about uh, getting in trouble. So uh, actually tonight, I actually got kicked out of the house because she said, you can't smoke in the house. So I'm out here on the porch. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But I will tell you this is that, you know, Norm and I, Norm has a lot more stories about smoking. But, you know, Norm, you should talk about what it did with you and your son when you started smoking you know, he was smoking something in the pool and whatever. And I thought this is a great little story you should tell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and really it kind of, uh, is in, in a roundabout way, kind of the way Tim and I met, uh, his son went to West Point, which is the United States military Academy, West Point, New York. My son also attended that Academy. And, um, um, I came home, uh, from work one day and walked in the house and, and I could smell cigar smoke. And I looked over at my wife, and told her, I said, I think I, th I smell somebody smoking a cigar. And he goes, she yeah, that's your son. He's on the back porch. So I went out there uh, and sat down with him and uh, lit up a cigar with him. And after a couple of cigars, several hours had passed. And I, and I realized that uh, um, I had spent my whole life with, with my son, but I've never spent that much time um, just talking to him. We'd been around each other our whole lives and stuff, like that, but, uh, but the quality time just spent, hours and hours on end doing nothing but talking um and um sharing the the joy of a cigar was uh really really something that was special in, in my life and we continue to do it this day he's still in the army he's at fort uh, bragg north carolina or what is now fort liberty um but um it's a it's a passion that we enjoy together and it uh um it's something that tim and i have uh have really enjoyed together and it's uh we became best friends over cigars and whiskey 
that's that's really great. I mean, I I actually my oldest son. Um, I do remember when I had my first cigar with him, and ironically, it was in Orlando at Corona Cigar. He was going to college in Orlando, so we had our uh, he had his first like legal cigar there. So it, it's a definitely a great memory to have something like that with your son. Well, unfortunately, my both my sons used to smoke, and now they're married, and their wives won't let them smoke. So this is what happens to get locked down. Yeah. yeah. We we've seen a couple of guys like in the cigar media that happened to actually. Yeah. <laughs> they got married and then they stopped smoking and then they just disappeared. We never heard from them again. Yeah, it it goes to the why I mean the spouses, right? So uh uh luckily for Allison, she smoked I mean, you know, it's nice to see some of the women smoke now, so uh and it's more than I thought. Uh but um it's been great. Uh, the only thing I got my wife used to only drink wine. Now she does drink our whiskey. So, um, and, uh, but our relationship with Norman and I is more like family and, uh, and we'll get into that story about how we met and so forth. And, and it's kind of an ironic relationship. Um, so if you'd like for me to start on how yeah, we met, you, in you fact, that, that was the next bullet item I had. So you, this is a perfect segue. I'd love to hear that. We'd love to hear that story. Hey, Norm, do you want to kick that off? Yeah, can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yeah, uh, so I already mentioned that uh, um, Tim had a son at uh, at West Point, and so did I. And we kind of met through that association. Um, but, um, you know, I'm kind of a private person. I think I can count on one hand the people that I've had in my house um, since I left the Army. And um, um, But Tim and I very quickly became uh, uh, very, very strong best of friends over cigars, actually, we'd sit down and, um, you know, smoke cigars, drink whiskey, uh, just talk about life in general. And Tim, Tim, uh, is the kind of guy you just don't say no to. I remember he'd call me up at midnight and say, Hey, I'm coming over. I'm going to have a cigar. And I go, no, no, I'm already in bed. And then, uh, three minutes later at my front, I hear my front door open and he'd come, come traipsing in with a, with a lit cigar. And, uh, my wife with Bonnie would say, okay, just, just, just don't bring it in the house. And we'd sit back on the, by the pool and, smoke cigars until the sun came up but um through that um friendship uh you know we enjoyed it so much i wanted to share that with friends of mine at uh at uh, fort bragg north carolina people i had served with in the past and um so we um had somebody make 300 cigars for a special event it was the uh, anniversary of the battle of mogadishu uh, took them up to fort bragg and then um uh Everybody liked them so much they started ordering them, and we didn't. We weren't really set up to do that. We we'd never planned on starting a business, but uh, the demand was so high. That's how we got started in it, and uh, it just took off from there. But uh, through that, Tim has become uh, one of the best friends I've ever had. Uh, and like you said, we're not friends; we're family. Mm -hmm. We're brothers. We we fight like cats and dogs, but at the end of the day, uh, we're we're still still brothers. And uh, um, it's a it's. A, it's a very special relationship and I'm going to kick it over to Tim. Well, I'll let you know, I usually win every fight we have. So <laughs> you know, no, yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit. When we first met, uh, a guy had asked me, he said, do you know Norm Putin? I said, no, I don't know Norm Putin. He's in Black Hawk Down. I never saw Black Hawk Down. And he said, oh, his son goes West Point. So we met through this process of our kids at West Point. And we sat, we were here at the club and, and um, I looked at him, he looked at me and, our family's there, and I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. I don't know where I know this guy, but he looks something about him I know. So we started kind of talking about our 
our family in Texas. I grew up in Texas. He grew up in Texas. He went to the same camp, Lakey. Uh, it's a kid's camp uh, there in Texas. Uh, his sister went to Baylor. My wife and I went to Baylor. There was so much coincidence. And then the topper was, he told me that his mother's maiden name was Young. Oh, wow. And I went, oh, shit. So we're probably related pretty far down. I got the good looks. He got the, you know, the badass deal. But, you know, he's, uh, uh, and I'm just joking here, is that uh, uh, it's been a great, family thing i think right, i'm more relationship with him than my own family and and in texas so it's interesting how it's really worked out and, you know we always say that god has a plan things work out and we just kind of kind of roll with it but when norm uh started discussing this 300 cigars of fort bragg for the 20th anniversary i said what being the problem what the fuck do we know about cigars and he said i don't know but you, i'm sure you know somebody so we ended up finding somebody who got some his cigars and we put a wrappers on it and we sent it on. And I told Stephanie, I said, Hey, you know, we did this, you know, this is the kind of a charity thing. We go ahead and do this. Well, he came back. Norm said, man, we have a people, all these people want to buy our cigar. I said, what in the hell do we know how to put a box together and all the, pardon me, all the stuff and all that kind of stuff. And he says to me, he goes, well, I know we could do it. We could do it. So within the first three or four months, we started doing cigars and uh, we didn't know where to sell them at. We, you know, we didn't know the industry. All we knew that we, here's my wife said, if you don't sell them, you're going to smoke them. And we looked at each other. We're good with that. So we, um, we uh, did that. And that's how we started off on the cigar side. And ultimately over three or four years, we um, ended up doing, I don't know how many lines of business we did within those four years, but uh, we're all over the place. And, uh, uh, with Allison came on board about a year ago, maybe a little more than maybe I think it was a year ago, uh, that uh, she started helping us out at PCA and so forth. So, you know, we've kind of moved along from there. And and it's been a, a uh, challenge for us because we're not from the industry. I mean, uh, you can if, if you want to just go back and find out what Nora's background is. That way everybody understands that. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's yeah, to go back to back to something Tim said, though, the real purpose, the mission of Hooten and Young, uh, you know, our mission statement is made to remember. And um, truly the goal we started was to help support the um, uh, wounded warrior causes and support uh, the all ranks fund, unit funds that helped educate or pay for the education of uh, the children of our fallen. And that was really the whole goal of it when we started. And it just kind of kind of grew from there. But we still are very active in supporting veterans causes, um, which is you know, the whole mission of our, our organization is made to remember veterans and the, and the uh, operations they were on and the sacrifices that were made by them and their family. When when you guys went and did those cigars for um, Fort Bla Bragg, were those, were those the Gothic Serpents, the Operation Gothic Serpent cigars? They were um, the prototypes. They were what would become. I think they were a um, uh, like a double figurado, uh, similar similar blend to to the uh, original Gothic Serpent, the Gothic Serpent Twenty Five. Um, uh, but uh, we made some changes that were for the better on the cigar. Once we started, once we started um, putting them in boxes and and selling the cigars. We went, we really went down and looked at it as more than a one-off 
event. And so we, we, we had the blend change a little bit and the uh, shape of the cigar. I think our first one was a torpedo. And then we followed it up really quickly with a Toro on that. But the original, the original 300 Gothic Serpent was the double Figurado. And it was um, all Nicaraguan blend, though. And you had no, basically, these were just things you were bringing up the Fort Bragg. This wasn't any intention to get into the business or anything at the time. No intention whatsoever to get into business. We actually drew the um, the logo up on a cocktail napkin after about a half a bottle of, uh, of uh, whiskey. And um, uh, I'll let Tim circle back to that later. But we drew it. We drew an H and a Y, and then we just put a dagger through the middle of it. And and then it just took off. And really, we did that in about about five minutes. We said, how are we going to ban these cigars? And yeah. we just um, – and we had a local local company make the bands. And then uh, um, we banded them there in Orlando uh, um, with members of our team. Sent them up, and that we thought that was it. But um, uh, Tim can circle back to that logo and some offers he had on it after we did it. But really, really, really was not – something that we didn't we thought we were going to be in in the long term it just took off well ironically enough when he says half bottle, i think we went with like three or four bottles and uh we got pretty drunk that night um if you saw the logo and i have it somewhere here i took a picture of it is that uh, you could tell that we were drinking way too much i think that was a night that i i woke up the i woke up the next morning couldn't open my left eye and uh oh, wow. but um but yeah, that, that was a hell of a night. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's funny. The little story is that you know, uh, at some point we started that, and I was traveling between here and uh, um, over to China. And uh, interesting enough is that about uh, we were doing this whole cigar thing, and and we were trying to do the missions that you know we got the serpent, and then uh, my dad was in World War II, so the whole thing with uh, the Overlord, the Operation Overlord. We try to kind of keep that story alive. Um, you know, when you're sitting around smoking and you're drinking, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here watching TV. I'm not generally on my phone. My deal is that it's about communication, which we've kind of lost that through this whole social media stuff, is that people just generally don't talk, right? And so it's been wonderful for us to have this from the mere fact that we have met so many good people in this process. Uh, one that are veterans, to non-vets who are, who are first responders or to whatever. And we're all about giving back. So uh, Norm can tell you, like we said, is that, you know, we, I think I'll made to remember um, and uh, remember those stories. And uh, so what we, our mission has always been to, you know, we put our money back into the product. We have very, very few uh, people who actually get paid on our payroll here. Uh, but Norm and I and, and the rest of the staff, uh, uh, the executive staff, don't get paid, um, but we put it into product or we put it into giveaways. I mean, we give stuff to the JSOC or the SOC, SOCF or to SOC or to whatever, Worlds of Honor is one of our big ones. And it's about giving back. And ironically enough, it comes back kind of some way. We don't expect anything back in return at all. But interesting enough is that when people find out you're committed to give away, they're more committed to the brand. Yeah. And about three and a half years ago, which say we started five years ago on cigars, and then about three and a half years ago, we started off on the whiskey side. We'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I actually, um, when you just said that, I actually thought you started in the whiskey and then went to cigars. So that was, I learned something on here tonight, which was really good on that. Well, I was living in California and Norm calls me up and says, hey, it's getting the whiskey. And I said, what the fuck do we know about whiskey? He says, you know somebody. I said, he did the same thing to me when we did the cigars. <laughs> and so when when Norm has a uh, an idea, I take I try to take his idea and implement that idea and uh, or find somebody who could do it for us or whatever. And and so, yeah, we've only been in the whiskey for three and a half years, five years on the on the cigars. Okay. So when you had that original cigar done for Fort Bragg, um, I know you worked a lot with Cordova and Morales. Did he do that first cigar as well? He did. The okay. very first one. So did you kind of just, uh, Tim, did you know him from being local down there, basically? Well, it's ironic enough, and, and, and I can't tell you everything. I used to buy um, uh, some cigars from him. I'd put the money out in my front porch, and there'd be boxes out there in front. <laughs> and I had never met the guy, if you know what I'm talking about. Yep. And it would just show up. Oh, there's a box of whatever. And we won't get into what they were. But um, <laughs> it is is that um, I'd never met the guy until the night that we had this first meeting about, hey, we got we got to get a logo of cigars. And so um, he was there and, you know, I didn't realize he was, a, you know, little, he, he a little smaller guy. And uh, uh, but uh, he, he was uh, the guy we started with. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, Aaron and I are pretty familiar with a lot of his his blends we've smoked a lot of them yeah. over years he has a very good reputation um he's made some very good cigars so um and it, right in your backyard which is really really good well we're you know, anything else and normal tell you you, know, you don't always start you don't always finish or where you're at today you start with. yep so um that's unfortunate but uh we are uh, now using other manufacturers in sle and dr uh he got to the point where he has his own brand. He was pushing, you know, his stuff at Cordova Morales, and we needed more kind of direct line to the manufacturers. So uh, we have made a uh, business decision to go to other manufacturers in SLE, uh, which Allison was down there uh, in Norm and the group uh, last August. And we have met with some very good ones, and uh, we have very similar uh, lines that we're coming out with. And uh, we also wanted to expand our, our line of business from, you know, I, I'm my background, I'm more of a CFO type. I was a CFO company here in Florida, uh, worked for AIG in Hong Kong, and uh, I'm always risk adverse. And it always worries me. And, you know, it's one of those things that I'm probably be way too apprehensive, but, you know, I'm always worried because Nicaragua has a different political view than uh, probably the U.S. wants to deal with. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a lot of great cigars that come out of there. So we had been always talking about how do we figure out how to get a cigar made out of DR. Um, this last year, you know, you're aware, we came out with a new cigar from Eladio, Eladio Diaz uh, called the 30th anniversary. The 30th anniversary for uh, Gothic Serpent uh, was this last October. And uh, so we've got a little bit of difference. And so, we're kind of migrating the same way. We're going to continue doing stuff in SLE, of course. And then we also are doing some stuff in uh, DR. Uh, today, I actually met somebody that wants to do some stuff for us in Honduras. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, you have to kind of play the game a little bit. Uh, we've had some bigger or larger manufacturers, uh, which we don't mention tonight, but uh, you guys will know them offhand. They've come to us and said, hey, can we do a cigar for you? And, 
you know, we're trying to get our supply chain down from what's it, 12 months down to about 90 days. And uh, that's what we're looking for, commitments for 90 days. So that way we can always, it's, you know, you know, we, in the business world, you know, inventory kills. Yeah. And so what happens, step us up or it's not good or whatever. So we try to minimize the buy-in of how much we bring in and then let it sit. Uh, we really don't want, we like to have more real time. Of course, you can't do that, cigars. We now have found manufacturers that will give us in 90 days. So we're excited about those opportunities. Um, with Z, we were getting within 12 months. And uh, it was one of those things where it, it was a little bit of a conflict. So it, he's, he's a good man mm-hmm. and uh, best, but we are um, kind of moving to a, going to a different direction. Would you say that, Norm? Yeah, no, we've grown, you know, and, and of course he has his own his own interest uh, with Cordoba Morales, it's awesome cigars, but we've just, we've grown. And, and when you grow, things change. And, and, you know, Tim mentioned, you know, um, having a diverse group of vendors that we um, use. I, I'm a, with a, my military background. I know that single points of failure will, will be the yeah. thing that gets you in the end, anything you do. So you have to have multiple, um, multiple options and that's that's kind of what tim has done in, in developing the relationships with um some very very good manufacturers um, not just in nicaragua but in the dr and, and now in, in honduras so so um um and competition is good i think as well and it gives us it gives us more exposure to different types of uh, blends and 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 stuff like that and we're still the learning curve is still steep for us because we're relatively new but uh, we're having a lot of fun learning it and we're doing it with some great people Last year, I think, was a big year for you folks um, because you came out with three lines. You brought Allison in. You guys were a PCA. Was that your first PCA or no? That was my first. Okay. So it was, a, it was a very big year. There was a point where you guys decided, I mean, you got into this, and now, okay, now this is serious. So what kind of led to what you guys did last year as far as this expansion goes? How, how did you guys – make that decision that now it's now I don't want to say you weren't all in, but you're definitely all in now uh, with, with the changes you've made in the last 12 months. Yeah. Well, you know, in the past uh, there was a point there that, um, and it's really my fault is that we got to the point where we we're doing the cigars for a couple of years and, and then we started getting the whiskey. And uh, so we thought the cigars were handling it. It was doing well. But it wasn't doing great. It was going okay. Um, the whiskey was just killing it. You know, we went from uh, we started that right in the middle of COVID, and uh, we actually had our first sale in May of 2020, and we sold about 943 cases in three months during the summer of COVID. And so, uh, interesting enough, you know, they weren't doing the the the, the, the liquor the liquor stores were only once buying it. Uh, it was crazy. Uh, I left for overseas, came back, and I, I came back to find out we sold everything. I didn't realize we would sell that many in whiskey. So uh, we went from one state to currently now to three and a half years in 21 states that we right. sell into. I mean, we have it on shelf. And 32 states, I think. Is that right, Norm? That yeah, we 30, sell into. 36, something like that, uh, online. Yeah. So um, we're always about to, is that, legalities we like licenses we get all that deal we we trademark a little bit over 30 different uh, trademarks we have two different design patents um we treat it like a business right yeah. truly like a business and um our p ls come out we gotta look at those every month 
Um, we look at every cost of every cigar or, or box or label or whatever it is. Um, sometimes we kind of move on and then sometimes we jump right back because we find out the way we're doing it was the correct way to do it. But anybody goes to that. And uh, uh, so, um, yeah, that's what's happened. Right. So, so you asked the question where we're talking about this last year. Well, this last year is when our transition with uh, uh, Azarius or Z uh, was happening. And so we then, of course, Allison came in. Around, I don't know if it was March or April. As but, um, and so then one of the things that uh, previously uh, we were just we were being discouraged to go to PCA because they thought it wasn't worth going. And the more I talked to other people like Coronas, you know, dealing with Jeff or dealing with uh, Angel there. Yep. Are you going to PCA? Are you going to PCA? Allison, are you going to PCA? We dealt with um, uh, Cigar Life. We love uh, Mario and those guys. Are you going to PCA? And so we're like, well, we've been told we shouldn't go. Um, but now, but then what happens is we said, we're going to, we're going to put our foot forward. We put a lot of money into this last year. Well, okay, we're going to do PCA. And that was in July. And honestly, I felt that the booth was, you know, like, well, we just kind of do our own setup. When we go to these events, we do like these little booths. And so this year, I mean, last year we did, I call it basically our, our roadshow booth because it's, we can move it anywhere we can. Right. Right. And so, um, uh, Allison did a great job, you know, pulling some podcasts in. A lot of people came to our table. You know, we're a, co a combination of though. We're the only true whiskey and cigar company. We make our, you know, we have our own manufacturing. We also have our, um, you know, we get our whiskey done and so forth. And so a lot of people would come to our booth saying, hey, I know you're in the whiskey, I mean, the whiskey group as well. Um, and we actually had the big guys. And Allison could tell you is that we had some of the bigger guys come up to us. And, hey, would you do a whiskey for us? Um, but that needs to say is during COVID, and I want to go back to that for a moment. COVID was a trying year for all of us, right? But interestingly enough, we got a call from um, a friend, of, a, a partner of ours named Mark Taylor. Got a call from a guy named Jack Carr. And if you know anything about Jack Carr, he wrote he wrote about eight books and yeah. Mark and uh, on it. And uh, he was doing a film or a movie or a series. And so they had asked us to send four bottles or whatever. So we sent four bottles to some strange person I've never met before in my life. I said, "It's only four bottles. We'll get her." So I, I about, about a month later, I get a call and they said. Hey, Tim, why did you send us four full bottles? I went, well, what else am I supposed to send? I don't have any empty ones. And so um, ultimately, by, was it two years later, we ended up being on a terminal list with Chris Pratt um, with our boss. He says, have a hoot young on me. And he also has email and so forth. And, and Jack Carr, we actually do a bottle for him. And right now we're in the process of doing a cigar for him as well um, that he can show on his podcast. In the meantime, yeah. Jack got us onto our, our product onto the Joe Rogan show and uh, uh, which was a good elevation for us. And uh, so we had a special box made for uh, Joe and uh, about was it two or three months later, uh, Joe's on the um, podcast with Elon Musk drinking our 16 year old whiskey. Wow. So, you know, it's, we don't know how it happens. We don't know how it ends up working that way, but, it just does, right? And uh, uh, I mean, Norm, do you want to add on to that? No, um, uh, good things happen happen to us, and we've been very, very lucky. Um, um, we really, both of us, um, believe very strongly in relationships, 
and and the integrity of those uh, um, uh, relationships, and they 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 paid off for us, and and of course we we reciprocate, but but um, we believe in building strong strong friendships that turn into business relationships, and Tim is the ultimate relationship builder. He's I've never seen anything quite quite like him. Um, I'm a little more reserved and shy, but Tim Tim never meets a stranger. He'll walk right up right up to him. Uh, in the bathroom, you know, hey, hey, how, how you doing? How are things going today? But, um, uh, but I'm I haven't done that yet, but <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> but no, we're we're having a lot of fun with it, um, uh, especially the cigar side of the house. We both still, um, um, uh, very much enjoy sitting down and having a cigar with each other. Well, here's an example a little bit. So, Pat, we had a little part of this last weekend here at the house with the LPGA, the Hilton Green Vacation Deal, and, um, uh, a guy named, I don't know if you guys know, Larry the Cable Guy. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of him? Yeah. So Larry, his real name is uh, Dan. So he comes up every time he comes by our, ha- our house for the last three years, is always wanting our cigar. So on Sunday this week, he's like, he's like pointing to me and he's a cigar. And I said, eh, no, no more cigars. <laughs> so he comes over. He's not, he's a not so good player, but he works hard at it. I think he's playing for this time he ever has comes over, comes to the sand, and he says, where's my cigar? I said, dude, no more free cigars. <laughs> he said, listen, here's my phone number. I want to help him out, me off. And I went, oh, okay, here's another cigar. <laughs> and, you know, so that just happens generally right here. I mean, you know, at, at the house, we get a lot of people who like our stuff, and, and we – and Norm hit it on the head is that it's all about integrity. Tell me the bad, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever. Right. And um, we'll just have to deal with it, but don't lie to us. And so we're all about that. And uh, in our, in our company is, you know, I can remember my, the truth, but I can't remember the lies. So the best way to do it is just be straight out with it. Right. Um, and, and sometimes it's not good news, but majority of the time it is. At the booth this year, and I was at the booth, and you met Bear. Uh, Aaron had his. Aaron has a separate team. He was there as well. But when Bear and I came into the booth, like we heard great stories, we smoked great cigars. But there was something I want to point out. What Norm was talking about in terms of Tim, what you with relationships. We sat in that booth, and this is what really impressed me. You guys took the time to like interview who we were. You wanted to, and that was that was. I know we our team talked about that a lot after because we. We never had that happen at a booth before. And it was, I'm not saying it was, it was a very pleasant thing because we felt like you guys were taking an interest. We're here and you guys were taking an interest in us. Um, and we were honored that you guys did that. It, it made us feel really good. We had never had an experience like that in the booth. So that's, that's just a compliment I want to give. I see how you work with the relationships. I absolutely saw it firsthand. Well, you know, one thing is, I will tell you this, we both agree is that we treat everybody the same. Like I said, there's two people that we deal with in life. Yep. Either you're an asshole or you're not. Yeah. I can, I can care less your race, your religion, your whatever, whatever, right? But at the end of the day, if you're an asshole, I don't want to do I don't want to be your friend. And but yeah, part, I want to hear your cigar, cigar journey for us too is I mean the most important part of it, right? I mean, um, after a while, you know, you can always 
I mean, cigars are cigars. I mean, some of them are awesome, some of them aren't. But uh, but the people you meet along the way, that's the fun part. So so learning about their story and how they got in, involved into in, into the in the cigar world and and who they are as people and what's important to them. Those are that's the fun stuff to us. Oh, I, I could see it. You know, it's, it's just through talking to you now and, and, and back then, I absolutely saw saw that. Um, and it was, like I said, it was a great experience we had with that. Um, the cigar lines, um, you, they all have a theme. So you guys have a story behind every one of these lines. Uh, obviously, they're related to a lot of these operations that, that have been done. Um, talk a little about what goes into when you guys are branding these types of things. Well, each one of those cigars is made to remember something, right? So our, our motto is made to remember. And um, usually we, they, we we try to find something that we'll, we can commemorate with them. But, you know, I've had a lot of commemorative cigars that that had a great story behind them, but the cigar itself wasn't wasn't great, right? Um, and um, they're kind of a one-off deal. You, you buy it because of because of what it represents and you smoke it and you go, ah, it, was, it was a good, good idea, but the cigar wasn't uh, really up to the story. So, so when we started with the, um, um, the very first Gothic serpent, we said, you know, not only do we want to give these guys something special uh, to remember the event by, we want to make sure that, that when they smoke the cigar, that it's a great experience for them. Um, and nothing that we have in the company. And I think Tim will echo this. Uh, we smoke everything that we produce and if we don't like it that's the first test you know it's like we'll we'll smoke it and we'll look at each other and go is this something that you like is this something that you would give to a friend and say hey try this one and if we don't like it it doesn't get past the first checkpoint and that's the first one with us and so um um and then we'll we'll come up you know with a theme like our, our very um first cigar was the operation gothic serpent and then we came up with um um overlord after that so um to commemorate d-day because some of us had relatives who had served in world war ii and and more specifically on on operation overlord which was d-day and we tried to make the cigar special for that that event which was the 75th anniversary of it and um there's some little things in there we do subtle little things in our brand that we try not to just hit you in the face with the military stuff you know um but we try to be subtly appropriate with it and uh like on the uh overlord we we made it a churchill length in honor of winston churchill because he was one of the sure. the driving forces behind operation overlord we um we put a map of northern europe on it and the beaches um and if you know anything about history you'll see that that um very subdued image on that box and you'll know exactly what that is. But if you don't know anything about history, you'll just think it's a cool looking box. But we try to to put those little hidden gems into our artwork. We have a great marketing uh, marketing team um, that works with us on it. But uh, Tim and I basically come up with the idea of um, of uh, what we want to commemorate, and then we give it to our creative team, and we bounce it back and forth. And and it sometimes it takes a while. Um, we've spent a couple of years developing particular. Um, cigars uh because we want it to be right when we when we release it but each one of those cigars um and i think we're up to what seven seven lines now tim commemorate something something unique something special but you know so uh real quick is that um 
the next one was after the overlord was the 2020 you want to explain that box real quick yeah the 2020 is a, is a cool it's one of my favorites if not my favorite everybody has their their favorite and i like all of our cigars if i had to he told me just pick one uh, i think i would i would pick the the 2020 um and it is uh um people think that it's called the 2020 selection and a lot of people think that that's the tobacco but um it is really to commemorate the men and women of the armed forces that went through special forces selection in the year 2020 so the selection is the people sure um and um if you look at the image on the box you can see that there's a there's silhouettes of special operators on the inside of the box but um uh, really really cool and a special one to me i had had a couple of buddies that had had run run the selection courses that year, and um, so it's uh, it's got a special place in my heart. But it's also again a very very um, pleasant cigar to smoke, and probably my favorite of our of our lines. Well, the interesting thing after the twenty twenty, we went ahead and did the Modus, and uh, so while my son was in uh, uh, flying Blackhawks, he had uh, fifty cows behind him, and Norm and and Mark Taylor and the group said, hey. Wouldn't it be cool uh, to do a kind of a uh, a caliber um, of the fifty cap cartridge uh, shape? A cartridge shape. Yeah, I love that shape that you have. It's it, it's like a bullet almost shape. Yeah, that's right. It, and then that that you know, it's, it, the funny thing is that box is not a cheap box, but you know, it's it's in a kind of an ammo box that's made in in, uh, in, in Esteli, and I have had old guys. Oh, guys from World War, from Korean War, or from Vietnam, and they see that box. I've had guys cry when they see. It. I don't know why they do it, but it means so much to them. We've yeah. actually had Modus. is the nickname for the fifty caliber machine gun. That thing's been around for over a hundred years. Wow! And it's been in every, every war since um, um, since uh, World War Two, I guess. Um. um and um, it's been used by every every foot soldier and every service for as long as I can remember. And it's got a special place in the hearts of um, of uh, soldiers because of what it is capable of doing to the enemy. Um, it's a it's a fifty caliber machine gun um, in the in the um, in the nomenclature in the military. I think is called the Model Two, the Mod Two. So um, the nickname given to it by soldiers is Modus. Um, like mother, it's the mother of all machine guns. And so, um, when I first saw the concept, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I wasn't really enthusiastic about it. I thought it would, could, could be seemed as kind of gimmicky and a little bit, uh, a little bit goofy. Um, and that's the one I was like, I don't know about this one, fellas, but, but the, but the idea was cool. We went forward with it and that has become one of our most popular cigars and it's also um one of my one of my favorites um along with the 2020 2020 probably give it the nod but if if i had to pick another one the modus would be it it's just a an awesome awesome cigar good looking cigar and the packaging is incredible it's our well, third actually, best selling cigar in the company it's third best third best and i get shops that call me all the time and they're like Oh my God, I can't keep it in stock. And I'm like, hey, I know it flies everywhere it goes. And they're like, really? Really? You're going to throw puns at me? I'm like, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew it was a good cigar, but I didn't know that uh, 
um, that it would take off the way it did. But we we've had great success with it, and it's and it's awesome. Well, interesting enough, even on that box, we've had uh, retailers that would they, they would be hesitant to buy that box, and because they said, oh, it didn't fit into our theme in here, I said, listen, buy one or two boxes, just try it. Next thing I know, a week later, they're going, hey Tim, I need five more boxes. I said, I thought I didn't like it. So I like it, but my customers do. And I said, well, we told you. People are going to like that cigar. The next cigar after that, we did the operator. Norm, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, the operator's um very, very, very cool concept. Um, it's uh, one of our more expensive cigars, but we there was no, no holds barred, um, no expense spared on that cigar. Um, and um, it really is kind of a... <clears throat> there to, to uh, pay homage to special operations forces around the world, not just in the, the U.S., but around the globe. I, I was fortunate enough um, when I served in the military to be able to serve with the um, the British Army. I served with the, the German Army. I served with the Israelis. I served in Jordan. I served in Lebanon. And I met a lot of outstanding special forces soldiers from around the world. And, and the, the kind of the catch-all term for special forces soldiers around the world is is an operator and um so we made that cigar to specifically give a nod and pay homage to special forces soldiers from around the globe and um and because of my background in special operations i really wanted that one to be successful and i did not i didn't want to hold any any punches on it no expense spared on it and we went all out on it and it's an awesome awesome um um cigar awesome concept and and really recognizes some very special people around the world. So right after the operator, we, we went down to see Bobby Newman from JC Newman. He's a friend of our friend of the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bobby has, or, or uh, JC Newman uh, handles a lot of stuff for the APs, which is the, pat, the class six at the um, army air force bases or post. And so he says, you know, you guys love your stuff, but you don't have a cheaper cigar retail wise. Right. And we looked at each other and we went, but we don't, want, we don't want to be a cheaper cigar. We want the same hand rolled. We want a good quality cigar. And the one you're smoking now is called the Paladin. Yep. Right. And so um, we came up with that concept and, uh, and it, it really has been a, a big hit for us because it, you know, sells about re- retail about $8. And now it gives it, it's an inroad for the soldier who doesn't make much money at all. I think they make nineteen or twenty thousand a year, uh, private. Is that they had the ability to buy one of our cigars at a cheaper price, and so uh, that was our next cigar. It looks great, great color on it, all that kind of stuff. After that, Norm, you want to tell them about the Neptune Spear? Yeah, we can go back to the um, to the Paladin a little bit too. So, so um, Tim Tim had a son that served. I have two sons still serving, and um, uh, going back to what Tim. Uh, mentioned about Bobby Newman. Um, I asked my sons, I went, Hey, how, how are you, are you guys able, able to get to cigars? He goes, yeah, dad, we can get them, but we, they're really a bit above our price point as army, army guys, you know? Um, um, and that really, really resonated with me and Tim to think that we've done all this work, put all this thought and, and, uh, uh, and love into these products and the very people that we're trying to, to um, recognize can't afford to, uh, to buy our our stuff. And so it, it really, really rang home 
with us. And we went out and we, we said, okay, we don't want to cut any quality, any, any, any shortcuts on this thing. We don't want to cheat them on the experience of having a cigar, but we want to try to try to um, uh, get it down to where they can afford it. And it, it is one of our best cigars. In fact, I, I have guys that come up out of all of our cigars that, and I have guys that, that I know that Tim uh, smokes with that can afford any cigar in the world they want. And that's the cigar they pick. So great cigar. Um, yeah, it's a great cigar. Yeah, we were successful getting it down to where it's it's reasonably um, um, inexpensive for the for the uh, men and women in the armed services, but it's also something that you can find in cigar clubs around the world where, where you know they have cigars that probably cost ten times that much. So um, um, we were successful in that one. It's a great cigar. And Paladin, by the way, means uh, trusted military advisor. So we wanted something that would reach across all services um, that had a military ring with it um and um um put a lot of thought in it. i think it took us about two years to finally from the drawing board to the to the shops to get that one going and, and tim you correct me on that if i'm if i'm wrong but it it was not a quick process for us we we looked at ways of doing it um um without cutting any quality on the cigar but it's one of one, again one of my favorite projects because we were able to provide something for some special people in the military. Well, that's when we had to really think hard about our margins, right? And when you're in a business, you look at, okay, where our margins are. That cigar is our least profitable cigar for us. Mm-hmm. But we felt that we wanted the best quality that we could do in all our cigars. It would be one of those quality cigars. We just said, okay, we just took a hit. We're just going to take a less margin item or less margin to make sure that we're able to get a, a price point where soldiers can afford it. And so it really meant more to us uh, so people can actually smoke our cigar. Um, now, you want to talk about the Neptune Spear real quick? Okay. Hey, Tim, can I make one comment before you go to – I looked at your price points actually prepping for the show. You guys are not, like, overpriced, really. When I'm looking at the market right now, most of your stuff was in that 8 to $15 range. Uh, I think you had a, one or two that was above that, but um, you, you're not you, – you, most of your other stuff is, is also quite affordable is what I'll say in this market today. Yeah. We were trying to find a price points on all our cigars where it's affordable. Yeah. Because we're trying to tell a story at the end of the day, we, we don't, we're listen, we're not going to compete with the big dogs, right? Our deal is we're trying to find that niche hole that is, they're not cheap. They're not the dollar the 50 or $2 cigars. What we want to do is have good quality, and we're building a brand. I mean, because in total totality is that it's about it's about the people who buy the cigars. It means more to us who who can remember the stories when they say, Tim, I love the Paladin or I love the Neptune Spear or I love the uh, I mean, the Gothic Serpent has been around forever. And everybody asks us, are you going to change that box? I say, hell no. It's a it's a it's a plain vanilla yeah. box. But guess what? We're not changing that box because it means a lot to us. I mean, uh, cigars still sells uh, so forth. But. You know, it was a, a point there where Norm was getting a little heat, and this is the kind of a funny, not funny story, but the story that Norm wants to talk about the Neptune Spear. Yeah, it's, 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 it is funny. I, I um, So Neptune Spear is made to commemorate um, the operation um, known as Neptune Spear that was conducted by uh, U.S. Navy SEALs to go after Osama bin Laden. And um, I have a lot of friends that serve in, in the SEALs uh, previously and still are still serving. And, and I used to send them cigars, you know, I'd send them like Gothic Serpent, I'd send them, you know, uh, Overlord or something like that. And, and 
couple of them reached out to me and said, Hey, Norm, we love this stuff, but, but you're not showing the Navy any love, you know, on, on, uh, on these products. And we can only smoke this army stuff for so long. And so, um, uh, very cautious about, about, um, uh, misappropriating other people's culture and other people's, um, sacrifices. And so I wasn't part of the operation and I, and I did certainly didn't serve in the, in the seals. Um, but um, I do have a special place in my heart for him because I have friends over there. So I asked him, I said, hey, look, if we produce this cigar um, and name a Neptune Spear, is it going to be OK with you guys or is it going to be something that you feel like would be be offensive to you? And and after uh, surveying many, many, many of them, um, the overwhelming, resounding opinion was, no, please go ahead and do it. It gives us something that that uh, is special to us. And so um, we did that as a as a nod to the to the navy seals outstanding special operations unit uh with a storied storied past um and um ha- they've recently gone through some some losses that i'm sure everybody's seen on the news but maybe more proud to be able to produce that for them because i hope so- somewhere someplace i have a couple of guys sitting around uh, having a glass of our whiskey and smoking a cigar in tribute to their fallen comrades um which again, this is made to remember, uh, um, and more importantly, made to remember people. So, um, very, very proud of that one as well. I and in our last cigar, mm-hmm. go ahead. ahead. No, you can go ahead. And then our last cigar we did, uh, am I right, Allison? Is the 30th anniversary, right? Yes. So Norm's uh, now it's five years past, and now he has the 30th anniversary, and he did a lot of speaking engagements during that time frame or this last year as regards to the 30th anniversary of Black Hawk Down. And, um, and we really want to commemorate that. And I had met uh, Aladio Diaz about March of last year, or, you know, I think it was about March, February, or March last year. And, you know, I, again, you know, we were using Z and I, uh, and I, and the thing is, I said, well, you know, I can do this. Now I will uh, caveat this is when somebody says to me, what's your blend? I have no idea. Allison knows all that. I mean, we have a sheet of paper and read it off to you. But people ask me, what do you like? I said, you know, I only smoke what I like. Mm-hmm. If I don't like it, I don't smoke it, right? It's like whiskey or whatever. I said, it's good. And so uh, I'm not about to taste notes. If it's, it's a good whiskey or if it's a good cigar, I'll smoke it. I smoke other people's cigars. So is Norm and Allison. We all, you know, I try them all. And so um, our last one was uh, with Laddie Odias. Um, and... Uh, I was down there with him and we were looking at the cigars and I called Norma. I said, Norma, I think I found a cigar. And, uh, and uh, Ladio had called it the Patriot and he had paired it with our rye whiskey. And uh, which was also going to be our 30th anniversary. If you saw our bottle, they kind of pair up. Oh, you, oh, she has one right there. And uh, what happens is it was an important time for Norm and for the guys of Black Hawk Down and for the unit and all that kind of stuff. And so we wanted something very special. And uh, so uh, we just released that this last year, which you were there at the PCA. And I think it came out in August, or no, October, right, uh, Allison? Yes. it came out October 3rd. October 3rd, which is the day of the event. If you look at that bottle for a moment, to go back to it, you're never going to see a bottle with a 93 proof. Now, the 93 proof is because it's 1993 when the event happened. So we were trying to use in some of our labels. We're going to start using even on the on the cigars, some kind of a subliminal uh, message. Not re- 
ones that the, the the soldiers would understand, and they really key on those deals. I mean, it's amazing how many guys who saw that '93 and they knew exactly what that meant because you don't see a '93 uh, whiskey or whatever proof. And so we 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 try to kind of kind of get them involved, saying this is part of it. Uh, so that came out in October. We also came out with Neptune Spear in August last year. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And then we did we do another one? I can't remember if we just did those well, we two. Well, brought out we brought out the operator first because it got its pretty box, and then yeah. the Neptune Spear came out in September. Actually, sorry, came out in September, and then we did October was uh, the thirtieth anniversary. Now, one thing is to remember is that we are not retailers. So what happens is we have learned through the process of what works for retailers. A wide box of like an operator doesn't work for us or for them because it's too big of a space. So we're now going to do a 2.0 version on a slimmer, but longer, whatever, whatever, right? To make, your, make sure it's right, um, on the shelf. You know, it's, it's ironic about Jeff um, uh, or at Coronas. They, um, I go in there and I say, hey, where's our cigars? I saw you moved them. Where'd you move them? And they said, you, we moved you to the million dollar row. I said, what in the hell does that mean? Well, there's, there's David off one side, there's Toro Fuente, there's Vicencia, there's all those guys. And right down about two thirds way down, we have three, we have three shelves. And, um, and that, it kind of meant a lot to me because, you know, normally you wouldn't put our stuff that close to the good, I mean, the, the high price stuff. Right. And so um, and and Cronus has always taken very good care of us of where we're located out. Uh, so has uh, Cigar Life and some of the folks that um, uh, Allison has uh, uh, put us into. People generally like our stuff. And, and uh, but, you know, it, here's an ironic thing. I was with Allison. And it was crazy as hell. So I was with Allison. Was it November, Allison? When I was there? Uh, yeah, I think so. October, November. Yeah. yeah. So I was with Allison. And she said, hey, Tim, we're going to go see the Humidor, right? Club Humidor, yes, Club in San Antonio. Antonio. Yep. Which is great. So I walk in there, I meet the manager. He says, Mr. Young, I have a, I have a guy I want you to meet. He's our number one guy. He buys all your, all the Hoot and Young stuff. I went, oh, great. I walk in there, and it's like at 9 o'clock in the morning. Is that right, Allison? Yeah, it was like 9 a.m. And I walk into this room, and I'm like, there's like 15 guys here. And I said... Wow, uh, I guess I broke a meeting. They said, no, we were having a Bible study. And I went, oh, oh, okay. And so I, we had brought some whiskey with us, well, at nine o'clock in the morning and sat around with all these guys. It was Allison was the only lady in the room. It was kind of funny because we sat there and they talked about the stories and they wanted to hear about Norm. I think I actually put Norm on the phone mm-hmm. and they got a big thrill out of that. You know, it's, it's having the owners or somebody like us, uh, we love going out to these places. We, oh, unfortunately, we just don't have the time of the day. And Norris, I don't know if you know, but Norris working, he's he's a full-time guy. Uh, he is a, a doctor in pharmacy for the VA. So he's he's got a job. And uh, so uh, I'm the real lucky guy that gets to hang out with Allison and group and, and try to sell these cigars, which I'm probably not the, always the best sales guy, but I try to do the best I can. And, uh, but it, it, those are the kind of things that happen. It's just weird. Uh, I, Allison shocked the hell out of me that some places we went and we got pulled into their groups and it was like, oh, and then we went to one new one and I can remember the little town that they had that. Bastrop. Guy, so, what, no, that's, 
No, the other guy, the one that just opened up with the two guys. Oh, Shade Tree. Shade Tree out in uh, Wimberley, Texas. Wimberley, yes. And they were just starting off, and they were so forth. And and we said, hey, this helped these guys. Actually, I bought some of their other cigars so we could make room for our cigars. Um, so, it, yeah, it's uh, it's a point where you have to kind of work together. And uh, somebody who's starting off. and uh, But the relationship, we uh, sell to a guy named CNS called Steven. Uh, it's called, um, uh, they have a distillery there and also the cigar shop. And he and I communicate with each other about once a month. I think Allison was just there last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have met some really wonderful, wonderful retailers. And and uh, um, so the one thing that we have lacked, and we said, hey, what things did this you know, lack? Well, we, we lack brokers uh, and reps because we can't, I can't be put on the ground all the time. And so Norm does as best he can. We have another guy named uh, George Martinez. Uh, but I will tell you, this is one lady I want to give credit next. I think she's listening. Uh, Courtney has been the glue of our company. Um, uh, she's uh, She does all the marketing stuff. She's been helping out a little bit of operations. Uh, and it's been frustrating because there's been a lot of things going on. We had the whiskey and the cigars and we're all over the place and we run out of inventory in our whiskey and we're racing to get that done. Um, but it, it's been fun doing it. It's been, it's been, uh, it, it's different in, in that we enjoy what we're doing and the impact it's made uh, to these retailers and people that who smoke or drink or stuff. It's actually more of a thrill to both of us than anything. When, um, when my son's in Texas and he says, dad, I was over, what's the place in, um, um, called Creekside. 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 And I walk in there and they are just, I can sit down. They all know me, that kind of deal. And it's just, it's been fun to do this. And uh, so we're all about the retailers, what they need. Uh, we're expanding some of the markets in the other places. Um, Allison's been working on in California, uh, retailing out. I think we're doing work on that. But we, uh, I'll let you know, we moved all our distribution out of San Antonio, Texas uh, for our cigars. Uh, we found out we weren't very good at warehousing or inventory, you know, control. So we had to move it to a bunch of guys that uh, ex-military guys that are just, they're right on it. So they're great. Logistics, Um, yep. Logistics, yeah. I mean, they know their shit. And, uh, I mean, they won't even let you go in the humidor with our stuff in there and pull a box and no, 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 no. You don't touch anything. I'm good. I'm good, you know. Um, Then we also did a little thing last year. We also moved all our merchandise and all that kind of stuff to a place called Pinpoint up in Irving, Texas. And we really didn't think anything about it, but the guy that owns it is the ex-military guy. And he says, I said, well, you know, we're this big, so small. And, but you're so big. I mean, they handle Bernalli, the King Ranch, I mean, on and on and on. They, they're big guys. And they said, Tim, we love Hooten Young. You're in a special spot. So we have done, and, uh, you know, it's just funny how the, the relationships have worked and um, and uh, and they become really good friends. Um, uh, we have a guy named Paul Lux up in uh, at our bottling company that he is he, we pay him to do our bottles again bottle, but he is probably one of our sounding boards for us and uh, that we get along with. And we get our, our whiskey from MGP and they're on board. I mean, so forth. Um, there's a guy from uh, um, Calibre. Uh, a guy named Kent Mills, very good friend of ours. I mean, they they just take care of us. And they introduce us to new people and so forth. So I feel that not only do we have great a good team of us, we also have a great team of vendors 
that have become our friends. I mean, ironically, yesterday or day before, I had a guy from Turner Label who does our labels for our bottles. He's like, whatever you need, we'll do it. Um, and so um, one day, for example, we needed labels done. He got them done in a week. He drove them up to Myers from uh, uh, from Lexington. So in any cost, I think I'm going to do it because I like Hoot and Young. So I think trajectory wise, we are in a good mode. We are um, uh, we got some uh, new stuff coming out this this next year. Um, unfortunately, you know, um, PGA moved, so we kind of have a, uh, a sense of you know hurrying up trying to get a new box out. So I think this year is going to be more, really difficult to get, come out with a new box in in March. Of course, next year it's in April, so now yeah. we have a whole year to get our shit together, right? Yeah. Um, so um, that's part of a growing company. And, uh, and everybody understands it. They're just, uh, they understand we run out of inventory. Well, we didn't expect to sell a thousand boxes of this or whatever it is. I mean, who knows, right? Cause we haven't right. been in it long enough. Um, so especially with a 71% increase this year or last year, the increase has been so big. It's just beautiful. I mean, for example, I met with, uh, Chris or Gall Chris Gall Gall that's that right? Galway. Uh, what's his last name from ABC Liquor? Yeah, I think it's Galway. Yeah, and uh, he has decided that he's going to put us in a bunch of all our stuff in about ten stores, which we already had stuff in there already. And people have said, "How'd you get in the ABC Liquor store here in Florida?" And I go, "I don't know. It just happened. Somebody introduced me to him, and he just loves Hooting Young. He uh, fell in love with Norm and the stories. Next military guy, and he says, I want to work with Hooting Young.' So." This is kind of the way our company has kind of grown. Somebody said, hey, how's your marketing? I went, man, I don't even know because we really don't do a whole lot of marketing. And uh, it's all been organically growth or through Instagram or through Facebook or through whatever, right? Um, or friends, friends and families. keeps on blending down. And uh, so that's how our growth has happened. You know, we've used the terminology, walk before you run. Before that, you had to crawl. So we feel like we've gone through the crawling stage and now we're working into the walking stage of our company. Sure. And, uh, and of course with that, you have changes. So, um, and that's one thing we're doing this year in 2024 will be, you know, some multiple different uh, manufacturers. Uh, but um, everyone, our product, Norm and I in the group smoke. Allison has been doing a lot of the uh, QC and doing some of the inventory control stuff. Uh, so she's been testing new blends that we're looking at. She's been doing a super job doing that. So um, uh, it's been so far great. Norm, you have anything to add? No, sir. I think it's a great job. No, that's great. That's great. And you, and you documented a lot of the, I mean, you very guys were very transparent a lot of the challenges you had along the way as you talked about them. I think that was very, uh, you know, refreshing to see some of those challenges that you had and how you dealt with them as well. Well, I don't you know, think we're the only ones that have them. I think everybody that's in any cabinet business runs into challenges. And I think the cigar business um, brings its own unique set of yeah. challenges. And the whiskey business does yeah. certainly as well. And I think if I had to rate the two, the whiskey is is a little more complicated than cigars. But both of them are unique in the challenges that they bring you. Sure, sure. That's funny that Norm said that when they hired me on. they Tim and I were talking. He goes, so would you ever want to work in the whiskey? And I was like, no, no, tobacco's enough. Tobacco's enough. I'll deal with tobacco. <laughs> yeah, on the whiskey, you know, the thing is that it's totally different um, tracks, you know, with the cigars and the whiskey. 
whiskey, most of our stuff is distributed by RNDC. And then we have three or four other large um, distributors on that. So they have their distribution chains that go through all that. Then you also have control states. So it's a little difficult because control states, um, like, for example, North Carolina, the control state of North Carolina approves it. But does it mean each county has to approve it as well? And there's some uh, counties in um, in North Carolina that are still dry. Yep. So um, I know, huh? you know, yeah. So we're trying to deal with that, but we're doing very well with that. Yeah. Uh, Virginia, for example, I think they just bought like six or seven hundred more cases last month, or actually this month, or so in January. And we're like, oh crap! Generally, generally in the whiskey business, it's horrible. I think it might be. We we haven't really found a pattern yet on the cigar side. On the whiskey side, generally January is the worst month, but actually it's our best month so far. It's been crazy. And so you, you can't find these cycles. And, and I'm, I'm all big into this modeling, trying to figure out how do we get the right pieces and parts and all that kind of stuff, what inventory, it's just labels, corks, and whatever it is, or to rings and how they get shipped down. They go, well, do we have made here? Do we have made there? And all that kind of stuff. And it, it's, it's been really wonderful. Like, for example, I met the guys from Rocky Patel. Uh, this last week, and they're, they say, hey, listen, we're willing to help you guys out. Uh, there's been other ones like that that have come to us say, hey, listen, we'll do something for you if you want to. Um, the issue with you know where you are, when they make their own cigars, you know, you kind of fall to the bottom. So the 90-day thing goes out the, uh, out the window and it goes to a year. So if we want to do something with them, we have to think, if we put an order in today, it's going to be 12 months. If we get it sooner, that's just a plus. But we just have to anticipate that we financially have put money in on first end and the very end. So, um, you know, we're always looking at how do we how do we cover our cash flow based on these variations, right? So um, uh, that's probably been the most difficult thing. We do have a CFO. His name is George Martinez, that is doing a fabulous job as a CFO for us. He actually invested in us, and he's not getting paid, um, and uh, which is great because um, none of us get paid except for Allison and Courtney, but. Um, uh, and I remind that because they're the ones who I'm like, man, it'd be nice to have a check one day. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's been great. I gotta tell you this, um, Norm, do you have anything to add? I mean, um, nope. Um, I know you guys, we, we talked a lot about cigar, but we, I did want to talk a little about the whiskey that you're doing. Um, so maybe you want to give folks who aren't familiar with the whiskey brand portion, uh, um, a little uh, high-level overview of that piece of your business. Norm? Yeah, so we started with um, with our first whiskey, and um, it um, we sourced the whiskey. So like like almost everybody in the whiskey business, um, the dirty little secret is almost everybody sources whiskey from just a few of the larger distilleries in the, in the country. Um, and it makes sense to do that for us because we don't want to um, – there's no way we could compete with the uh, the amount of whiskey that they can produce for us and the quality and the consistency of the whiskey. So we support source we source through MGP, but um, you know, like Tim mentioned earlier, we about a little bit after we started the cigars, I looked over at him and I think actually think we were on his back porch and I said, "Hey, we should start a whiskey to go with the cigars because we always drink whiskey with these cigars." And so he knew um, someone. Uh, he had a friend that he had known for many, many, many years named uh, George Meliotis, who's um, very, very well connected and world renowned in the uh, wine and spirits industry. And uh, George um, knew the right people. And he said, hey, I, I think that um, 
I've got a, uh, a friend that may be able to provide, an, and in Georgia's terms, an absolutely exquisite whiskey for you. Uh, but we have to go up and test it. So we all flew up to uh, Midwestern Grain Products, which is in southern Indiana. And um, we test tasted a lot of different whiskey. I think Tim and I went through, started at 8 o'clock in the morning. We probably drank 100 shots of whiskey before 10 o'clock in the morning. We didn't realize we weren't supposed to be swallowing the whiskey. We were supposed to spit it out in a paper cup. <laughs> so we were uh, we were um, three sheets to the wind by ten o'clock in the morning. But um, um, we kept coming back to the one whiskey, which is which our which was our first whiskey. It was a ninety-two proof, ninety-nine um, percent corn, one percent barley, light whiskey, aged twelve years. And it was like George said, it was just absolutely an exquisite product. And um, we fell in love with it. We um, um, uh, bought a bunch of barrels of it. And I say a bunch of barrels, I mean a, a bunch of barrels. And um, I think we used up all their aged, aged 12 year age whiskey. I think we purchased all of it. And um, um, we um, bottled it and then got ready to put it. We had a, we had a dis, uh, distributor, which was Republic National, which is one of the harder parts of business is getting national distribution. And um, when we were supposed to go live to the shelves, COVID hit and nobody was moving. There was no sales out and we were stuck with, uh, you know, several thousand cases of whiskey uh, with nowhere to put it. So we went down to a local liquor store with a local distributor in Orlando at the time said, hey, um, we've got this whiskey. We want to get it to market. And uh, can you do it? And he goes, I don't I've never heard of the whiskey. I, um, I, it's now's not the time to start a new whiskey brand because of COVID and I'm not interested. And I think it was either Tim or I that said, Hey, look, if you buy, um, uh, one case of whiskey, if it doesn't sell in a month, we'll come back and buy it back at retail cost. And he said, okay, I'll take, I'll take one case. And the next morning, um, he called back and said, Hey, I need a hundred cases. And, um, because it's sold uh, over, a 24 to 48 hour piece uh, a 24 to 48 hour period of time. Um, he was sold through everything and he had orders for many, many more bottles and it just took off from there. And I'll well, keep I, it I, I, want, I wanted to say something about Norm talked about when we were up at MGP doing the tasting. Uh, let me describe it. Norm's on the other side of the table with me. We're opposite. And then George is sitting at the very end of the table with the MGP with guys and I noticed that Norm started taking a video. There's a video of me drinking. And after we got through the second or third row, I didn't know what I was tasting. I, I think I almost fell on the ground. I was, we were so uh, toasted uh, that the master psalm, George Milios, drove us to the airport. And, and one thing we were worried about, if we could get through TSA being so drunk. And uh, luckily, we were able, because there weren't any people on the fly, we were able to get through. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, we, I think it took us about a week to dry out a little bit. But uh, – Norm's correct. I mean, when we went to, uh, and I'll tell you, the, the place was called Betfly on International Drive here in Orlando. And this guy was very skeptical of us walking in there. He liked it, but it was like, ah, I don't know if this thing will sell, whatever. And interesting enough is that that guy today, I mean, he actually loaded, I think we had 30 cases that were here. Uh, Norm and I signed the bottles, um, and he sells them with our autographs on and so forth. And just recently, the same day, uh, last week, we had uh, the Shriners uh, bought 200 bottles, and we both signed all 200 bottles, and they're using it for a donation process, right, that they go through, and about another 200 cigars. 
And uh, so it, it's interesting how these groups, and now we're kind of looking at also, I was just texting somebody earlier about how we should get more into, um, an, an additional two is more cor- corporate giving. Um, so, or corporate gifts. And so we have, uh, last year we had three or four uh, people that are companies that did that. Uh, this year, uh, uh, we've reached out to uh, some major uh, guys that want our stuff, the ex-military guys. Um, it's now trying to figure out how we package that out, how do we move it. Uh, somebody also said, "My let you know my wife works for Disney. And somebody said, why don't you sell the Disney? I said, well, the problem with Disney is they want too many cases. And uh, the problem with that is, is that if they don't move it, right, they just discount it down. So the idea is went to them. I said, listen, six or 800 cases is too big. You need, we need to do about 100 cases See how you sell it. We want the re- the the what we call the uh, what do you call it the depletion or the the rebuys, right? Because that's what creates a different deal. Um, one thing we did lack this this last couple of years, you know, AFEs for example has not, or some companies won't put us in there because we really don't sell to a whole lot of national brands. Um, for example, we don't sell to Walmart and we don't sell to Publix here in Florida. Um, and those are the guys that really report. Now, we do sell the uh, Total Wine, and we sell the ABC Liquor Store here, uh, Specs, and all those guys. There's a bunch of kind of a regional deals. And now we've been elevated more onto the, the Nielsen reporting deal. Um, and this last year, I think we got ranked, I don't know if Allison remembers or not, uh, but it was kind of far up. We were just shocked that we were actually on there, right? Uh, so you can see that people were taking notice of Hooten Young overall. Um, it's just good stuff. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. I, I drink everybody else's and I still have, I go back to my bottle, our bottle and say, man, our stuff's just good. Now the new rye that we came out with, you won't believe this. We did about how many cases Norm, but 800, 600 cases or something like that. Yes. Yeah, so, and that was in June. You won't believe this. Within one month, we sold all 600 cases. And then we in turn, we got a call from uh, Blue Ridge or Republic. That's their marketing arm. And they said, hey, you know, you just ran out of rye. And I went, dude, that's just 600 cases. That should last like three or four months. Gone. So we did another 600. So we're now depleting those out. Uh, we're coming out. Uh, it's called the uh, – that was a special bottle because that was a third commemorating the 30th anniversary for Black Hawk Down. It's next year we're coming out with a seven-year-old rye. Uh, 95.5, 95% uh, rye, 5% barley is off the chain. And I'm not a rye guy. It's not an angel's envy, whatever, whatever. It's just different. And we don't do anything different to it. We don't mash it with anything. All we do is whatever comes out of the barrel, we proof it down, right? Add water. And uh, so we try to keep it simple, right? That's what we do on all, all our stuff. Just keep it simple. The, the one project that I was I'm kind of really interested in is the whole uh, wine barrel whiskey collection. How did that one all come about? Norm, you want to talk about it? Yeah, you go ahead. So uh, George Melios, being a wine guy, he has some relationships with, and I'll mention the names, uh, Camus, Honig, and I don't know what Zinfandel was. And he said, hey, I got this pet project I, I think we should do. We should take some of your our six-year-old whiskey that we had. Um that we've been buying different years. We have right, right now, we're currently 17-year-old uh, in barrel sitting um, up there. We have eight-year-old, which is now nine. We have now six. There are now seven or eight, so forth, so forth, right? 
and you, it's called managing your growth. You got to manage those barrels like you do anything else. And so he says to us, and he says, hey, I got this great idea. We're sitting back, well, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about whiskey. I know whiskey, but I don't know about, you know, the wine taste, the wine cast. So um, he had uh, a bunch of barrels sent over to our bottler. And we put some six-year-old stuff in there, let six between sit between six and nine months. And he went up there and tasted it. Uh, he loved it, which like, okay, I don't really know, but it was good. Um, for the first year or so, it did really well. The second year that we did the same uh, barrels again, we doubled the number of barrels we got. The problem was we got the Zinfandel barrels, and they all broke. Oh. Because if you don't in it within a certain time frame, then what happens is they fall apart. They won't hold water. So they do a water test before they actually put the liquor in it to make sure it holds water. And then they dump the water, then they put the, the liquor back in. And so uh, last year we only had, me and 23, we had the uh, the Syrah, which is the uh, uh, the Camus, and then the Honig was the Cab. Uh, so we were able to do enough to have that out. In 2024, we decided we just bleed through that rest of that. And we have about maybe a couple hundred cases of each now left over in warehouse. And uh, this year, we're not going to reproduce that methodology this year. Uh, in 2025, we might do it again, but we're trying to make it special. Uh, the other issue you have, thinking about so different than cigars, you only have so much limited space in a liquor store. Yeah. So when you have four bottles and they go, but I only have two slots. So you look at the three bottles that you really want to push. Uh but some guys will put our uh, the uh, the the wine cast in on there and so forth, but not many. Most of our stuff is sold on that is through online because we are able to go through our Speakeasy Co stuff and you can buy it direct, not from us, but from a third party. Right, right. But it's good stuff. I got to tell you, it's uh, we we don't sell things that we wouldn't. Now, we do have a, a bottle that came out this last year. Um, Allison, remind me, uh, the eight-year-old uh, bottle came out when? In December? That came out in December. Yeah. So we have an eight-year-old bottle. It's 92 proof. And literally, I'll tell you this, it's pretty damn good for an eight-year-old bottle. I mean, of course, any eight-year-old whiskey right. is pretty damn good. Yep. Uh, so uh, currently, on, we have the eight, we have the um, 12, we have the 15, and the 16 right now. And the rye, the, the six-year-old rye that's out right now. No, it's a nice collection, um, for sure. That looks, uh, um, um, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, um, I didn't really have that many whiskeys, actually, too. So you guys have definitely, in a short time, amassed, amassed a nice portfolio of that. Well, we're trying. Yep. Trying to do our best. Yep. So, um, of course, yeah, it's funny. I can tell you something real quick. You notice I have a beard. Last time I saw you, I didn't think I had a beard, did I? Right. No, you didn't. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, so my wife, so everybody says, well, hey, Tim, um, why'd you grow a beer for? I said, just piss off my wife. So <laughs> if everybody wants to know why I grow a beer, just so I can piss off my wife once in a while. You know, she pays attention to me once in a while. So, um, but yeah, so everything's going good. Uh, we just got to get more stuff out there to the people. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. No, it's, it's excellent. I was, I was actually just signaling to get a liquid into me. <laughs> my throat was going from, your, from your spouse? Yes, yeah, from my spouse. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the mysterious yeah, but my wife's already in bed already, so she's she's out. <laughs> uh 
Awesome. I apologize for that. Norm, I wanted to kind of, as we kind of close this uh, out, um, and I do have two more questions after this for you guys. Norm, uh, you know, you know, not a lot of people could talk about um, in terms of basically having a movie uh, about a very significant event in your life. And that, of course, I'm talking about Black Hawk Down. And I'm sure I could do a whole show on that, right? But I'm kind of curious, what what is it like to basically have a movie made about this experience and a character basically, you know, representing you in that movie as well? I know the name was different, but the character was you. How do you kind of assess that? Was it a positive? Was it a negative? I hear different people who do this say different things. Yeah, I think it was a, um, a neutral for me because, you know, when the movie came out, I was still um, still on active duty. Um, but there were a lot of guys they could have easily tagged that name onto. Um, they could have used that name with several other people who were there as well. And uh, I'm not quite sure how it ended up with me on there. Um, but, um, it was a great honor to, to be there with, with those men, um, and, ex and live through that experience with them. It was obviously tragic for, yeah. uh, for the army and families and for, for me personally. I know. Um, so the movie at the time was kind of the last thing on, on my mind because it was so, so fresh on my mind, you know, and the things that were real, you know, the real loss and, you know, of the unit loss of the, of my friends and, and their, and the loss that was experienced by their families really overpowered anything that could come out of, out of Hollywood. Um, it did not affect my life really adversely or positively. It was a neutral event for me. Yeah. Um, I never, um, you know, after I left the army, I, I went to pharmacy school and, and pursued other, other, interest I, I had done everything that i wanted to do in the united states army i started out in a special forces unit on fort bragg <coughs> excuse me um was on a nuclear weapons team on bragg for a couple of years and then went over to the counterterrorism side of the house and i was just fulfilled when i left the military i'd done everything that i that i ever dreamed that i would do uh in the army and then um when i when i got out i um I had a young family. I, I spent 20, a little over 20 years in the army, had a young family and, and was focused on them and, and finding another way, another challenge in life. So I, I looked at the army as a challenge. And then once I got through with it, I, I, I accomplished everything I felt like I needed to accomplish there. Then I went on to the next challenge in life. And so, um, and it was dramatically different. So being a pharmacist, you know, um, uh, is a lot different than being a, being a commando. Um, so I was able to really separate from that, that, um, that community. Um, in fact, you know, my kids didn't even know they were so young at the time. They didn't, they didn't really know, uh, anything about where I'd been, what I would have done in the, in my older life. They just knew me as a, as a pharmacist. So, um, uh, really was kind of a neutral, neutral event. If every once in a while it pops up and it makes for, makes for interesting conversation but as far as uh career altering or life altering it, it really did not i'm married to the same same woman I, I, my kids yeah well, i could totally understand i mean that i mean because i mean i just remember that and you know i'm actually old enough to remember vietnam and that was i mean that was a very i mean what what, what you guys must have went through i, I can't imagine um yeah. Was, yeah biggest um I mean, Time, it was the biggest uh yeah 
military engagement since the Battle of Wei in Vietnam. I don't know if you remember that battle. It was an urban battle in, in an old ancient city. Um, but that was the the most intense combat, urban combat that the U.S. had experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Since, I, since Vietnam. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, um, thank you. I mean, thank you for your service, uh, you know, during that. And, of course, all your service. Um, well, it was a pr privilege to do it. Thank you for saying that. But it yeah, was just, uh, we, we really I got I got more out of it than I gave. I promise you, I, I, if I had 10 lifetimes, I couldn't pay back the Army I, um, for the experiences that they gave me and being able to work with those people. Yeah, no, I can. Uh, yeah, yeah. God bless. That's great. Uh, Aaron, um, anything before kind of do the rest two questions? Do we want to add? No, I think we're already filled yeah. Okay, great. So I have two just kind of fun well, questions. I will say this real quick. Aaron's very quiet, so. Yeah. Actually, I, I can't, I'm <laughs> sorry. I have one. I have, actually, no, go ahead. I actually do have one thing we have to talk about before we get to the questions. Uh, you guys have a very big event coming up uh, that you guys mentioned in the green room, so I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, so um, I can't remember the dates. Uh, it's March, what is it, um, Allison? March, March 20, March 29th and 30th. Or sorry, not March. Um, yeah, March, March 28th or 28th and 29th, 30th. Yeah. So we were asked by a guy named Mark Powell, a country senior. He said, uh, uh, would you sponsor this event? And uh, the other two guys that are there right currently uh, were there before are still there, uh, Miller Lite and Tito's. And he said, but I love hooting you up. And so we said, well, we have never done an event before. I mean, we've done small stuff, right? But this is a country event that's in Abilene, Texas. And there's 18,000 people going to be there. And there's a whole array. If you go online and you'll see it, Outlaws and Legends. And it is a phenomenal event. It's going to be our first year to do it. We love to have people come out there. We're going to be having – we have people serving uh, Hoot and Young. And we also have people selling cigars out there for Hoot and Young as well. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, Norm and I will both be there. Uh, Allison, I think, is going to be there. I think a lot of people are going to be there. I think we have I've, I've had friends of ours. We have a friend of ours named Michael Stewart, a, a prior NBA guy. And he says, I'm coming. I'm like, dude, dude can I put this sign? He's six foot ten. So he's going to wear <laughs> you know, a big shirt and walk around. And then it's just, people are saying, hey, listen, can I come? Can I come? I said, sure, you can come. I mean, um, but it's going to be something that's going to be fun, enjoyable. Norm will be there. Uh, Norm will be there with his wife. My wife wants to go. I tried to discourage her to go because, you know, she comes and I actually have to go to bed on a certain time. Um, but uh, uh, but it will be a lot of good times. And the music, but go, I think it's called outlawsandlegends.com or something. Is that right, Allison? Yes. <clears throat> and uh, you just pull it up on Google or whatever. But uh, it'll be fun to do that. We actually, we won't believe this, it's right before right after the PCA. So we're going right from the PCA right to that event. So oh, wow. uh, it'll be a lot. So hopefully you guys, uh, if you're in that area, come by and go to Outlaws and Legends. So you got to be very busy in uh, March. Very busy March. <laughs> yeah, I get home Tuesday and then drive up Thursday because it's three hours north of me. Right, right. That's, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you guys, you're all going to be busy. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Good for you. I'm all I'm all glad for you. All right, two questions to wrap up. Uh, first one is this is um this is our FSG uh beef segment uh by FSG Tobacco, which I know you folks are familiar with. Uh, that's the farm owned by uh Jeff Borshowitz. Um, but we do a beef segment because uh Jeff likes meat, 
So I want to know <laughs> what each of your favorite cut of steak is, assuming you're not a vegan. So, Norm. Yeah, no, without a doubt, uh, my favorite. You just want the favorite cut, or you want my favorite meal? So you I, can I'm say both. Guy. You can say both. <laughs> That's fine. My favorite meal uh, is Chateaubriand, um, Oscar at uh, Burns Steakhouse in Tampa. I got to try to get in there still. Yeah. 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 When I was there, yeah. my 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 best uh, best uh, piece of meat I've ever had. Nice. If you had, if you knew the master sami, you could get in there faster. But. Um... <laughs> <laughs> which we did um is that i have my favorite i've lived a lot of places i've been a lot of places in the united states and the world and i'll tell you there's still my number one place ever has been a place here in orlando called prisoners and uh i get a filet pittsburgh style oh i and love pittsburgh you, style yeah oh my gosh it's my favorite and i'm not really into that fatty part but i'll tell you a pittsburgh style Filet, a big one. I mean, it's just man, just give it to me, all meat. But yeah. you know, Norm's kind of guy in Swashwa now because you know Chateau Burana. You know what, fucking Chateau. <laughs> I didn't either until I had it. Now I, now I definitely did. Oh, you know, I know you know where that dessert room is, though. I promise you. I do know that. Uh, but it burns is a great place. It's very fancy, uh, but. Uh, uh, my favorite, the favorite people are here at called Christianers here on Lee, Lee Road, and uh, we highly push them. And they, they sell Hoot and Young, too. Uh, what's your next question? All right. <laughs> next question is is more of a, a riddle-type question. Um, this is what we call our Ties That Bind segment, brought to you by Tobacco RSA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco RSA, great things are happening here. So in the ties that bind segment, guys, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna name three things, and you gotta tell me what how they all bind together, what they all have in common. I think this is an easy one. Sometimes I say it's easy and it's hard. Uh, Aaron does not know the answer to this, but I think he'll get this one. And I'm gonna name three presidents of the United States, and you gotta just basically tell me what they all have in common besides being presidents. And the three presidents are Andrew Jackson. Ulysses S. Grant and Dwight D. Eisenhower. Or not military, right? No, well, I, not military. They were yes, they were definitely all military. They're all sure. military. Oh. They're all military. You're you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, oh, getting, you're getting very warm. <laughs> Hold on a minute, Eisenhower. And who else? Grant? Well, they were all generals. Grant? Yeah. Grant and Jackson. You got it right. Norm. Uh, all generals who became president. Went West, didn't they all go to West Point? Uh, I don't know about Andrew Jackson. I don't know about Eisenhower, but they were all general officers. Yeah, they were all general officers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was it. You got it. That's good. Yeah, I thought it would be. Uh, well, I, I, but I think they all smoked, too, cigars. So I get asked the question Grant. all the time. Uh, who I want to smoke a cigar with in the past, and it's Grant, because he was a big cigar smoker, and he has an incredible story. Grant, his life story is incredible. That's the guy I want to smoke a cigar with. Yeah, he, had a chance. Grant. Well, it's funny you say that because our sons were at West Point, right? So there's, if you ever get a chance to go up there, you know the history that's generated there from 
you know, when you read in the books of a thing called um, Benedict, Benedict Arnold, you know, yeah. hey, don't be a Benedict Arnold trader or whatever it is. That started at West Point. And when George Washington was there, they had the fort and all that kind of stuff. Great history. And then you get to the whole history of um, Custer went to West Point and he was there and so forth. And you, you hear all the stories about the different generals, Patton, Eisenhower, McCarthy. I mean, you just like it's just it just you just it kind of kind of gives you the the the, the chills uh, understanding where all this, these great guys came from. I mean, there's great guys came from the Navy. But we, I wasn't there. I mean, my son was at West, our son was at West Point, so you heard about the history. But you realize that people have sacrificed all their lives to, to support and defend this country. And so, um, no matter what political view you are, is that in the day our soldier is always on the line to protect us. And so, it, it those guys are greatness. Um, you know, we've met a few of the presidents. I mean, between 41, 42, and 43. I mean, uh, uh, I met Bill Clinton, I met both Bushes and so forth, and Norm Smith them all as well. And uh, I will tell you what they all have in common. They like to, they like the party. And they're great people. They're very good communicators. And I got to tell you, I was with Clinton in, uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, I didn't like his political view. I didn't really like his standard. But I'll tell you this, he was sitting next to me and, I looked at him and said, man, I want to party with you guys. <laughs> that guy, he was, he was fun to be around. Uh, but uh, on, on that um, island somewhere? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get into that, man. Uh, but you know, Tim doesn't is, fly. Tim doesn't fly. <laughs> that way. Uh, but you know, the thing is, is that there's so many. One, I mean, and I'll tell you, you know, there's one thing I'll tell you about story about Norm. One thing I, I, I can't stand about Nora because he's a little jerk about it is that he sends me these damn TikToks. <laughs> he would send me these damn t- TikToks. And you know, one thing is about TikTok is you just can't see one. You keep scrolling the next one, the next one. So two or three in the morning, I'm sitting there watching these fucking TikToks. And I said to Nora, I said, stop sending it. I would delete it. I said, don't send me this shit. Next thing I know, about a week later, another TikTok. Of course, course i had to look at it because he's gonna ask me about it so i look at it well next minute no i'm two or three in the morning so watch this tiktok crap he has hooked me on to that i don't know what it is but yeah tiktok tiktok uh gives me the boot now they have a last call for it's like it they say, stop, <laughs> stop, stop scrolling oh, no, you're over the limit you went over you a lot of time huh? right right hey, <laughs> hey real quick i was let you know another story you know normally hasn't mentioned his daughter and uh, she's a part of the box. She is probably the biggest personality in the uh, uh, Hooten family. And uh, she's so fun to be around. Actually, I tell Norm, I said, Norm, can you just bring Rachel with you? He goes, why? And I said, dude, I don't have to say a word. She talks so much. She, she, just, she can talk to anybody. I thought I could talk to anybody. She's, she's the bomb. Of course, right now she's attending uh, uh, Alabama. So Norm used to be a, a Longhorn fan. And his daughter goes to Alabama. And now he's a Roll Tide guy. So um, wow. I, like the, I am I anyway for sure. I don't know, but yeah, she's uh she's a she's a she's a mess. She's awesome. It's my only daughter, but uh, but she was uh, worth waiting for for sure. That's great. Yeah. First time I met his daughter, she told me, "Do you know I thought my dad was a cook?" And I was like, "What?" She was like, "Yeah, I thought my dad was a cook." And I was like, "No, hey. so, you know, she told me about the story." She said. That you know, story's amazing. Home and he made pancakes. 
Yes. And he would make these breakfasts in different shapes of pancakes, a, a Mickey Mouse or a pig <laughs> or whatever, whatever the ones were. And they would say, well, there was the ugliest looking pancakes, but guess what? We loved them because my dad made them. And, uh, but he's not a bad cook. Yeah. They told me later on, they said something suspicious, man. You could, because you're cooking wasn't all that good. But, um, but yeah. But, um, hey, listen, guys, it was uh, really awesome to be on. I really appreciate you guys bring us on especially late like this so no and we appreciate you guys staying late i know we kept you guys um thank you for for everything you guys did um you know do for us uh you know you guys obviously do for give back to the country of course and um we appreciate everything you do and i look for i'll see you at the pca trade show in march uh we'll be by again so allison thank you as well for setting this up we want to say thank you to both of you guys for allowing us to be on this podcast because most people would say, no, we're not going to have Norm Hoot and Tim Young on there. They talk too much, but uh, <laughs> we definitely appreciate you guys taking the time and having us on the show today. And, and uh, anything else we could do for you, let us know. We appreciate it. Was our guys. We, yeah, it really was. This was great. Thank you for sharing everything tonight. Uh, just wonderful. Uh, I know our audience appreciated it too. Okay. Thank you for forward to seeing you in Vegas. Absolutely. Right. Thank yeah, you guys. Thank, thank you, Allison. Thank you. Anytime, guys. I'm happy uh, to get you guys all together. All right. Take care, everybody. That's uh, that's Norm, Tim, and Allison from Hooten Young here, uh, here on Primetime uh, 294. So uh, we will now um, we will now move into our next part of um, the show, which will be uh, actually. Do I have to do? Uh, yeah, I have to do sponsors next, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I. Uh, how can I forget? Um, <laughs> so that's the most important thing. Uh, so let me let me do that. All right. All right. Of course, uh, I was uh, I had my notes. OK, well, I mentioned Jerry Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age, it's caused Cuba's leaf choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Of course, it is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate. It fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamistrán Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years of experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, who in this and who still bring their very own brand to market, and each contain the authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Sumatra. And each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your Oak Retail, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every draw. And, of course, we want to mention Corona Cigar Company. At Corona's Cough Company, they take fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars exclusive to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Davidoff, Padron, and Drew Estate. They have the best selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar as the best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online at their website or visit one of Corona's five central Florida cigar superstores, superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And finally, uh, we want to mention Alec Bradley. You ever plunk down harder in cash for a cigar? You're hoping that you just bought yourself a nice drive to taste down only to discover you're in a slow lane with a clunker? 
That sucks. Say goodbye to bad rides. Test drive an Alec Bradley cigar today. At Alec Bradley, they get it. Whether they're talking about cigars or life, it's all about the ride. Learn more at alecbradley.com. And, oh, I got to mention one more. before. Actually, I pre-did the Alec Bradley one. We're going to get into that. But I have to mention our friends at Cavalier Geneva. Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. Again, join that inner circle. Follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars and Facebook at Cavalier Geneva Cigars. That's G-E-N-E-V-E. Visit your local tobacconist and join the movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently guarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by the cigar industry press. You want to follow them on Instagram, again, at Cavalier underscore cigars, because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. So we're going to get to our Alec Bradley Live True segment here. Um, and Aaron, I, I kind of zeroed this one on you this week because you kind of shocked me. You went to an event that I never thought you'd have any interest in going to this type of an event, but you went. Why, why would you think that? Because you're because okay. Now this I'm not knocking this. It's the Harlem Globetrotters we're talking about. I, I just yeah. for some reason I can't, I see Aaron Loomis's. Well, this ain't, this ain't a real basketball game. You know, it's like, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I can't see Aaron Lewis going to a barnstorming type of, of, of event. And, and, and right. not only did you go, you were, like, excited about going to this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, I went on uh, Monday. Not, uh, it wasn't this, no, previous Monday. Um, yeah, I went to Sacramento. They were in town. Um my wife bought tickets uh, for my daughter for Christmas for us all to go. And um, I enjoyed, you know, watching them on TV uh, when I was younger. Um, I never got to go see them live. Um, so this was an opportunity. So something I was interested in in kind of seeing because kind of, I to me, they had kind of fallen off the table. Right. Like it's not the it doesn't carry, the, I think, the same weight that it did when I was younger. Um so I was curious to kind of see what it looked like now nowadays. And um, I think it probably has the same kind of a feel to it. Um, obviously, much later in life, it's different to see it. But um, to see the kids that were there, my daughter, it was pretty it was pretty fun to watch. Um, you know, they, they're putting on a show. Um, there's some real basketball players that are on the court. And there's uh, athleticism. And they're not selling. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to say that they're going to beat. Uh, they wouldn't beat like a top college team or anything like that. I don't think. But um, they have some. They have some good players there. Um, and it's now um, co-ed. So there's uh, female players playing as well. Um, yep. They had this one on the generals. They had this one woman that was just. She ne- she she would knock down every three she took. Right. And the whole day. So. um no, they do some fun stuff. It's a thing. It's a thing for the family and for the kids, and it was enjoyable. You know, um, I don't know that I would go, you know, any with any kind of frequency, but to see it and just to kind of see the reaction from my daughter and the kids, I think it was pretty fun. I'll give you a trivia question, Aaron. Do you know when the last time? By the way, they won, right? They won. They beat the generals, right? They yeah, I mean, it was tied in the last uh, forty <laughs> seconds. Yeah, that is like uh, you know what you know what always reminds me of the generals. They're like that wrestler. The jobber, yeah, that's what they were every time right. they come close. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, but do you know the last time the Harlem Globetrotters took a loss? See, I don't know this because I, um, we, my wife and I were talking about this with my daughter before mm-hmm. the game, kind of giving her a heads up of what you know what it was, and um, I was uh, I was shocked to learn how many times the Globetrotters have lost. It's it's a it's a 
way more than I was expecting. I thought they'd never, you know, they never lost or maybe they would lose one time or something like that, but they had lost a fair amount of times, but I don't know the last time that they lost. All right. Um, they lost, um, in, they lost the last game they lost was in 2000 to Michigan state. They actually played a, a exhibition with Michigan. Uh, okay. State. Nice. Um, yeah. So, um, they had, um, I think it was a loss five years before that, and then it was like an an unbelievable uh like win lose streak. It was, but yeah, yeah. but um, it, see, growing up in New York, the Globetrotters always played Madison Square Garden. I mean, that yeah. was I was in the Harlem Globetrotters, um, and so I have seen them, and I like them. Like I said, it just I didn't expect you to like it's something you wanted right. to go see. Um, yeah. then there was like a, we had another. T- you may have heard of these guys. There was another barnstorming team. Called the Harlem Wizards, and and they were they were kind of like they weren't as flashy as the Globe Tribes, but they it was the same type of it was the same type of thing. It was more of an uh, they played smaller arenas and stuff like that. Mm, So they would play like at some of the college gyms, like at St. John's, and maybe even some of the high school gyms. And they are they are uh, they played all around the world too. So it's it's kind of a ripoff of the Globe Trotters, but it's kind of a a a no a little bit of a lesser expensive one but yeah yeah you know um, i also learned that i guess the generals they either changed the name for a while or uh it was a different supposed to be a different team for a, a segment of that so um they they weren't playing the generals for a long time they were playing a different team so they were um they had another name they they yeah, had a they had a and they they went they had they had a lot of names from what I remember. Okay. Um, I just remember them being like I think it was the yellow with green lettering. Yellow green, yeah. Back the, when I was young, right? Yeah, that's how I remember too. Um, but I want to say they were the Nationals or something like that at some point. That that's what I want to say. They they are they were the Nationals. Um, they they also have um, they actually were known as the New Jersey Reds as well. Okay. Um, they are credited with. I did a little research. They're credited with three victories over the Globe Trotters in '54, '58, and '71. Mm-hmm. So, but the only one I think that people could validate is the '71 one, from what I understand. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. It's kind of it's kind of weird because, like I said, I I you know we get into this debate a lot. I know on our message thread, I'm all about like championships, right? So right. if I'm seeing something that's not about a championship, like I kind of. Like, why am I watching this? Right. But yeah, this this it's I, I guess I, I what I learned is I take that that mentality out and it's the bar it's the barnstorming aspect that they do with this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they there's been other like, you know, the um like the and one tour and some things yeah. like that where they've yeah. done kind of these some of these types of things as yeah. well. Um so um I think it's fun kind of exhibition yeah. style stuff. Do you know. You, yeah. Do you um how about baseball? Are you interested in barnstorming baseball? Um, I think I would go to like a Savannah Bananas game or something like that just to kind of I check it out and yet. see what it's like. We're talking about going maybe in May. My wife and I were talking about this like okay. last week. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd be, I'd be up for watching it. You know, I can I can go to an event, you know, um, and not expect it to be like top level talent kind of a thing. Um, it's just when I go to an event that's supposed to be top level, you know, that's supposed to be, um, you know, good quality talent and it's not then that's where i get disappointed yeah yeah there was um so there was a barnstorming softball team 
Do you remember the king and his court? No. Yeah, and in the king and his court was it was the it was the same thing. Um, they played. I forget who the team they played was. They had a guy named Eddie Figner was was the pitcher, right? Okay. And and he was pitching. I think I want to say he was pitching into his like seventies. He, he he's dead. Um, right. But no, he had a stroke. I think he had a. I remember he had a stroke. But he was featured. I remember he was in the Bud. He's in Budweiser commercials. But it was, yeah, the King and his Court was this team that was a. It was barnstorming football. Uh, they football, base, baseball rather. Yeah. Uh, and it, I have seen that, and it was. Okay. It was. It was pretty. It was pretty cool to see. It. You know, they just do. Uh, you know, little. It, it wasn't quite as. How can I put it? theatrical as as the um that's what i think the, the globe trotters excelled is this there's a yeah. theatric uh a, but you know he would like fagner would do these like tricks he would do with the ball and, and and it was kind of pretty cool pretty cool to see it uh i think there's some stuff on youtube you could check it out but he was a very charismatic guy uh, eddie fagner mm -hmm. um so he uh but yeah that was the one that was pretty popular and they they would play a lot in new jersey um, okay. and I think they, I think they racked up like almost 10,000 wins. It was like a lot. Wow. Yeah. And I think like most of those 10,000 wins were Eddie's and Eddie was the king. <laughs> he was the king. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. That was a big all. So interesting. And I'm glad you had a good time. That was good. That was good. Glad you got to see yeah, that. It was fun. Uh, I think a lot of people, was it, was, how was the arena? Was it filled? Uh, it was not filled. Like the yeah. lower, the lower level was pretty full. Yeah. Um, but like the upper, you know, the upper deck's not, there was no, there was nobody sitting in the upper deck. So, yeah. Um, I can... It was, you know, it's a Monday. It's not a weekend game. I yeah. can't, you know, a little bit of that. So, um, but, and um, it's a price thing too. I mean, these, these, they're not cheap to go to a Gold Trotters game. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little different. The, it's a brand new, it's, you know, the King's Arena. So it's almost brand new. Um, it's really nice inside, but like they had very limited concessions and stuff like that. So it was a bit of a bummer. The lines were really long and things like that. But we got there early enough. We got that all that taken care of and um, got to our seats. Um, so it was cool. I mean, we 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 bought um, floor seats. Um, so, you know, players coming in and out, you know, slapping our hand and all that stuff. So we wanted to, you know, give the experience and all that stuff and um, all that. So she, you know, she had a blast. She got autographs on her. You know, I bought her a Globetrotter ball and. She got autographs on the ball and all that stuff. So it was, it was a fun time for her. That, that's good. To she, hear. She's been, you know, she's playing, she's been playing basketball for three or four years now. So oh, she's really? kind of into it. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. My uh, only one of my boys played basketball and he was, I, I just, he was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he admitted it. He, like he did it for two years. He, got, he goes, I'm not getting any better. Yeah. My, my daughter's a defensive wizard. Yeah. So yeah, he went to karate. <laughs> he went to, he switched to karate and did much better. So uh, yeah. he got his black. I have one son who has a black belt. So uh, nice. Yeah, uh, and then he he realized how hard it was to go for a second degree rack, but and quit. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. Okay, speaking of sports, let's get into our Espinosa this day in sports history question. Brought to you All by right. Espinosa Cigars, makers of award winning brands such as Espinosa, Six Hundred One, and Knuckle Sandwich. Smoke Espinosa, smoke Espinosa every day, and get into Arizona state of mind. All right, these are both San Diego Padres questions for you. How about that? All right. <laughs> All right. I think you'll get them both. Okay. If you haven't seen them already. So the first question is, and they both occurred on January uh, 25th, which it just mm -hmm. turned to January 26th on the East Coast, but it's January 25th one. 
And on January 25th, 1974, this entrepreneur bought the San Diego Padres for $12 million. Who was that entrepreneur? This is this is your arena of expertise, owners and managers. Oh, um, really? I, oh, wow. Yes. Um, I do not. I couldn't. Other than like some like flamboyant owner, I'm not going to name you the owner of most teams. So I just don't pay attention. So I, I really have no clue on this one. Okay, this one I'm surprised. About. I, I and I get that is not your comfort zone, right? Yeah. But this guy was a very well-known entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, I'll give you one hint, and if you can't get it, I'll tell you. He okay. was an entrepreneur in the restaurant business. Uh, yeah, it's not. That's not going to do it for me. Okay. It, the answer is Ray Kroc, the owner of McDonald's. Okay. 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 Maybe a little before you. That may have been a little before your time. I thought that would be an easy one. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean that seems like an amazing that seems like an amazing like way to have an owner somebody that owns a fast food chain like imagine that today like I think you would just do so much business in your like in your own like stadium and all that stuff it'd be nuts. Yeah. But I I I completely agree with you on that one. And he was considered like he was considered a very hands off owner. And a lot of times people like he got a lot of criticism for being mm. a hands off owner. Right. Um, because, you know, the team wasn't that good back then. Yeah. So yeah. it was all he took a lot of the heat for that. Uh, and again, twelve million dollars when he bought the, that that time was a very high price he paid for that team. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. This this one you might get. This I think this is the tougher of the two questions. Okay. Um, all right. So on this day, January 25th, 1978. The San Diego Padres paid it and traded a pitcher by the name of Dave Tomlin, along with $125,000 in cash. And they acquired this pitcher, and he would go on to win the Cy Young at the end of that year. Um, I'm going to go with the man of many uniforms, Mr. Gaylord Perry. That's correct. That is correct. <laughs> I can't, like, I rem okay. I, I do remember this trade, but I remember years later being talked about the Padres actually gave up money. Like, that right. was the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, Ray Kroc, I think, still owned the team then. <laughs> and he was also known for not spending a lot of money on the team. And they oh, spent okay. it. And, and Gayla Perry was, was getting towards the later part of his career when he won that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that was our Espinosa This Day in Sports History Questions. All right, so we got one more set of sponsors. We'll get into our final segment. I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company. Founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman, the J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations of 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as Elver Hole, J.C. Newman was premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, the American, and the Angel Cuesta. J.C. Newman Pence's factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's where Brickhouse, Pearl de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yago cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by Tobacco A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Scar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, vocational training, healthcare, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. 
fine. Uh, we want to take Casa Cueva cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they've manufactured cigars for many industry leaders at a Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market, Casa Cueva cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas uh, line, as well as the Cuevas Reserva line, and the latest release, Sangre Nueva. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our casa to yours. And we're going to get to our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust industry deliberation uh, segment, sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included nine consecutive appearances on the half-wheel consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mikarita Tricky Traca, and number one cigar of the year in 2022 and 2023 with the Mikarita Black. Visit DTC Cigars to find the purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. So I'm smoking Bear's number one cigar right now, just so you know. So, uh, but but the big news this week was the developing palettes list, Alan. Uh, nice job with the list. Uh, yeah. Um, came out. Uh, we revealed it Monday night. Put the yep. list up Tuesday morning. But um, yeah, it was um, another interesting year, and um, uh. Yeah, not not. I mean, some of the some cigars that made a, some other lists, but then some cigars that didn't really make any other lists. So, uh, I think the one of your number uh, one. I don't. I think your number one was the only list I saw it on. I got to be honest, the Patina Anniversary. Yeah, I mean, I've done a search of uh, you know, finding out for reviews. I've only found two other reviews of that cigar, and they're both YouTuber. Um, oh, I have one. I do. I, I have one. And I have Did one. you review it? Yeah, oh, okay. I wasn't. Sorry. I wasn't as high on it as you guys. I'm sorry, but it wasn't. Okay, I didn't yeah. see it when I did a, the search on it, but um, that's because I didn't have SEO implemented right back. Then. I, that's ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Then there's I only saw three other reviews of it. I mean, I know it. You know, Patina is not a huge brand, and it was a limited cigar, so it, you know, didn't probably didn't have a ton of outreach. But um, you know, f I like the brand, and um, you know, when there whenever there's a new line, I always like want, want to make sure I try it. So um, it was one of the ones we got we got for um. The review cycle so so you know dave burke is messaging me where to find this cigar yeah yeah and it's it's pretty much gone right yeah <laughs> well i did find two in my humidor so i am sending oh, wow. him one of those cigars i'm gonna keep the other nice oh so yeah and they're they're from that batch so he is getting right. one um i told him Wonderful. i only could send him one yeah so we'll see what happens he was like he i guess he watched the you know he's like i gotta smoke this I, like i don't know where yep. to find it uh, right. I think Casa de Monte Cristo had like a couple of singles left, and they're probably gone yeah. by now. But uh, yeah. so Dave, yeah, he has one on his way right now. So uh, nice. Or he will have one on his way. He's got to just right. remind me to send it to him. So yeah, cool. we, we, uh, great list. I think it was a good. Uh, it was the big news this week, uh, as far as lists go, and uh, it was it's an entertaining. Cast. I I remember I was I you know what I brain farted because I knew you guys all like raved about this cigar. Yeah. Uh. So uh, I had I was guessing other stuff, so uh, I thought might be, I thought it might still be uh, I thought it might be Papa Sakura Krakatoa, and then that Tatawai was the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Aaron, we had a, there was another thing that happened this week. Mm -hmm. Um, Hall of Fame, right? right? So we're gonna do a little sports in the Hall of Fame, but then I'll turn it back to cigars for a minute to close mm -hmm. it out. Um, so. I I was not happy. I'm just gonna say it, and I know I didn't think Todd Helton belonged in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And my first I, Hector immediately puts the defenses up with me. 
Well, Scott right. Rowland got in. I said, Hector, I'm a Phillies guy, and I said Scott Rowland does not belong in the Hall of Fame. So don't don't throw that one out at me. Um, yeah, I had I had no problem with the other two who got in. Right. Um. Why am I brain farting who the other two got in right now? Jeez, I uh, but I had no problem with the other two. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, Helton, I just was like, you know, and and I know Bear started throwing up some stats of Helton versus Derek Jeter, but this is where I I think there's a big difference. Jeter's got five rings, and I think and, you know again this goes back to me being all about champions. Yeah. Oh, it was Adrian Beltre. Beltre and, and Mauer. Mauer, yeah. who I have no problem with either of those guys uh, getting in. <laughs> I need to look at Mauer's numbers because uh, I might have a problem. With it, but. He, I thought he, I, but but I thought he was, I thought he was, I, because I, I look at the position with that one. So that's where I look at that one and I look at his defensive numbers. Uh, not deep, it's just defensive performance, I should say. Sure. Yeah. But here's my, I have a few questions for you based on this. So, um, What's your criteria for someone to get into? Let's just start with baseball for now. What would yeah. your like? What do you look for with a baseball hall of fame? How do you kind of where do you draw it on? Because I'm accused of always being too tough with the with the criteria with this. Yeah, I think you need to be like really stellar in some form of the game. Um, it doesn't have to be um, like it doesn't have to be a. Uh, a, a complete set of numbers across the board. Right. Um, because that, those are very rare. Those guys that, that have like long tenures, um, but you do have to have longevity, right? You can't just be like a, a two or three year, like superstar and then do nothing the rest of your career. Um, and then you get into the hall of fame. So it has to be a, a, a sustained excellence in some form of the game. So if you're like, if you're a monster, Stolen base guy, uh, getting on base, you know, scoring runs, disrupting the game. I like it. Yeah. If you're a, like an amazing uh, defensive player, like I, I could care less about your offensive numbers. If you, if you are like a game changer defensively and you can do it for 15 years, I'm okay with that as well. Like I don't feel like you have to um, only be getting in off on offensive numbers. Um, if you can, if you are good enough to stay in the game uh, for a long time like that, then you're. Then you're good enough to get in the hall, I think. Yeah, I I, I think I would uh, definitely agree on all those points. I do the one thing I do look at is each of those rings kind of gets you. If you're, I will give you credit for each ring you get. Yeah, for me, I find it. I think rings are circumstantial a little bit sometimes. So it kind of depends on your situation. Um, you know, that's the problem. Do you some... penalize a guy for being loyal to a team? Um, no, I wouldn't. I, I no, wouldn't, I don't. I'm not penalized. Uh, you know, I'm just saying. I think it's like bonus points if you got if you got those ranks. Yeah, but you know, then sometimes it's just um, for some guys. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying it's luck, but for some guys, it's the situation that they're put into. Like you know, Jeter being a Yankee from the start. Um, you know, he's in a good spot, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, he puts those numbers up. He probably puts those numbers up anywhere he plays, right? But he's in a situation where. He's in an organization that's going that's working to put a complete team together and make that happen. So, um, you know, I to me the rings aren't as important as for you. I think. Okay. Because it's how- it's really it's not the it's not the team that you know it's this individual's players' uh, contributions that are that's getting him into the Hall of Fame. It's right. not um, 
the, you know, the team around him. Obviously the numbers are contributions from teammates as well. Like you're knocking in people that are on base and, you know, people are knocking you in, but you know. Yeah. I, I looked at, I looked at Helton's numbers, right. And you know, the thing about him is I, I kind of do put the uh, Rockies thing in, you know, I do put the Rockies in, but this was his numbers. 2,519 hits, 369 home runs, batting average of 316, RBI 1406. And then I kind of, I mean, I can't help but not include the Colorado factor. I just can't help it. Yeah, I, I I agree with the Colorado factor in regards to those, you know, the home run and RBI numbers probably. Um, but I think a number that you have to also look at is his on base percentage. And he was 414 career. Yeah. So it was, it was not him not walking bad. has nothing to do with being in Colorado. You yeah. Know? Um, so um that that's that's a pretty solid uh career OBP. Um so um yeah, it, it, the Colorado factor I completely agree with, um, you know. It, but it's just, it's just really hard to it's really hard to factor that in. I mean, there's a lot of things where you like you're looking at guys and you're like, you know, you, especially when you're comparing, you know, more recent guys to older guys and saying, hey, this guy got in and this one didn't. It's right. a very different time in the game, and like it's really hard to make those things kind of match up when you're making those comparisons. Yeah, I mean, I go back to that 2000 season that Helton had. 372, 216 yeah. hits, 59 doubles, 405 uh, total bases, 147 RBI, and he did not get the MVP that year. And yeah, I think fifth, that, fifth in the voting. He got fifth in the vote. That's an like, you look at those numbers today. That's like shooing <laughs> for an MVP. He got fifth, and I was <laughs> Jeff Kentwood. So that's kind of where I was. That's where I. And it, it did take him six ballots to get into the Hall of Fame. Yet. He didn't get in on his first shot. Right, 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 right. So I, I, I kind of get it. Right. Um, which was surprising. The funny thing is, you know, I, I got the Philadelphia media. They're like, wow, Chase Utley did really good um, in his first bout. Wasn't he like 11th or something like that? I don't remember where he Chase plays. Utley's not getting in the Hall of Fame with, with, with the writers. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> when you're, you're not, he's not going to go from – I don't care if 10 years. He's not going into that. He's not going to get enough votes. And I love Chase Utley. And I, right. Jimmy Rollins, I think, is a different story. I think Jimmy Rollins should get more consideration, but I don't think he'll get any easier. And, I, and to be honest with you, I love I love both guys, and I don't have a problem if they if they don't make it in. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, um, do you think it's getting easier to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Like, do you think now that they have this uh, other now mechanism? I, I think it is a little bit, and I think that there might be a couple of reasons why. Is that they feel like they, you know, they obviously they they want to get guys in every year. Uh, there's a steroid area that maybe they're emitting guys yeah. from, so it's yeah. making the pool a little bit lighter. Um, so I think maybe this is like, a, you know, the best chance for some of the guys to get in that the timing's right where they can take advantage of those steroid guys getting held out. So. Yeah, I, I and that you know what that may be the one thing people looking at in Philly with the. Uh... With the steroid guys that finished ahead of him, like they're yeah. probably not going to get much higher. Yeah. Um. And there's basically all these guys have been pretty much told, you know, they're not getting in with the writers. I think right. the veterans, it will be a different story when these guys hit the veteran circuit. Yeah. I think the veterans are going to be more sympathetic to this. Right. Um. So I think, like, like I, I know Rob wants Barry. I think Barry Bonds will get in with the veterans. I, I really do. 
they yeah. tend to be it's a different cult, but the writers are just gonna do their thing with that. Right. Yeah. So Aaron, I want to turn this to cigars. Mm-hmm. Um we've I've I've seen Hall of Fame, like Scar Ficinato has a Hall of Fame. Now Dave Garofalo's got a Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um and I, I wanted to know if 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 there I mean, because I'm kind of curious, I'm curious of your thoughts. If there was a Hall of Fame for cigars, like I wanted to know what your criteria would be. I'm not gonna put you on the spot unless you want to name someone uh, who's a Hall of Famer. But I'm kind of curious if, if if we're gonna put a cigar industry person in the Hall of Fame, what would right. your criteria be? So I really like the way that uh, sports does it, where the player cannot be inducted until they're done. At least for baseball, it's five years, right? You can't. You're yeah. You've retired for five yep. years. Now you're eligible to be voted in. I like that because, you know, you kind of ended the playing career. Um, obviously, things can still go sideways down the road with, you know, things that come out about, you know, what they did off the field maybe. But um, I think it's, my, it's a bit hard to do in the cigar industry because people don't quit and then retire and go do something else, right? Um, for the most part, for like, for like people that for like people that were kind of born think, raised in the, the industry, person. I only can think of one person, Benjamin Mendez. Yeah, that's the one guy who retired and stayed. Like he retired about eight or nine years ago, and he stayed retired. Yeah, most, most people keep yeah. going until they just until they like they just can't do it for health reasons, yeah. or you know right. they pass away or whatever it is. So it's it's hard to do that, and especially if you want to be able to like honor them while they're still alive, which I think should should be the the mechanism, right? You yeah. want to honor someone while they're still alive. Yeah. You don't want to wait until they've passed before you can honor them. So it makes it tough in regards to that. But um, I think it's, you know, similar to uh, what I said for, for baseball is that um, if you've had a sustained long-term impact on some part of the industry, um, like at a, at a very high level um, that, that you would be eligible. And so that, I mean, it doesn't have to be a. You know, I think everybody's gonna go straight to a blender, right? That's the first thing you're gonna think of. Right. Is we're gonna put a we're gonna put a blender in here. Right. Um, that but that doesn't have to be the case. You know, if if there's an amazing farmer out there, boom, put it in. If there's an amazing roller out there, put them yeah. in. Like if top tier level people, then I would say that would you know that would that would qualify them. Uh, I mean, put the top tier sales guys out there. That's I mean. There should yeah. be Hall of Fame salespeople in the cigar industry, right? Oh, they would. Um, yeah, of course. But I think there's a, I think there's new roles that have evolved in the cigar industry in the last 20 years. So yeah. I think there is guys who don't own factories, but are like basically in the factory. And, I, and the two guys I can think of are Soccer and Malillo, right? Yeah. So you have those. And then you have these brand owners. And, and I think the one that comes to mind is the Levin family at Ashton. Yeah. You know, where they're they're basically have a brand and they contract it. Do you consider those guys? I, I think almost you have to put them into the different categories. Uh just because, you know, like I said, it's yeah, easy to gravitate uh, that, to the blender. Yeah. So I mean, I think at that point you have to look and decide how, you know, maybe how you want to do it. Is it the brand are you gonna are you, you know, inducting the brand? Yeah. Um, or the people behind the brand? Like you have to I can determine what the what the criteria is there um, to see. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I kind of agree. I mean, I seen the aficionado one. I mean, no one's going to argue for the most part, the guys they've picked, right? Right. They're, they're, they're leading and they're, they're, they're close to that master blender. 
uh, maybe not Al- Alan Rubin was one, but he really he was kind of the one that was the new guard. That, but most of yeah. those were in there. I don't. But I kind of agree with you. It's almost like I want to see them retired. Um, I almost want to see them retired, and and none of them retire. Is yeah, it just doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen. So yeah, but I kind of like so the way I would do it is thirty years minimum. Okay. In 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 this area, I would say you have to have thirty years. Um, and you know if you're going in as a blender, you got to be in the factory for thirty years. So. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean, thirty years is a long time, especially in business now, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, but and maybe that's maybe that's the right number because of basically you know them you know people not necessarily retiring, um, kind of a thing. They have a they have a much longer window, you know, as a you know, lots of these guys that you know that you're looking at Hall of Fame, they're you know they're playing fifteen, you know, twenty years, you know, but um. And that's super long yeah, in that it, in that it, sport. So I mean coaches is always the tricky one because there's guys who have um retired and then come unretired. I mean, so you know, the two that come to mind are like Dick Vermeil and Parcells actually came out yeah. of retirement. Um so I know like I know pretty much Parcells was kept out because they wanted to make sure he was retired. Like they kept him out a long time until they made sure he was retired. Same yeah. with Vermeil. They kind of waited like a while after that. So, but yeah, for the most, coaches are always a tricky one to. Larusa, did Larusa get in? Uh, no? I don't know. That he baseball. Did. Yeah, I I don't know. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't know that one. I saw a picture of him. He looks awful, by the way. Uh, yeah, twenty thirteen. Yeah, so he got in, and he got in, but he got in. Um, I want to say he got in right after he left. No, I think he was still in the. No, right after he left the Cardinals, he got in because he left mm-hmm. the Cardinals. I think after that World Series. Yeah, and he it was like ten years, and then he came back. So, so it's always tricky with that, and I gotta get that. It's an extreme case. Right. So I was looking at the, the the Hall of Fame that Dave Garofalo established. He's focusing on brands. So my question is, if you have a brand, I'd rather make a company than brand because brand is such. Right. We've talked about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What would you do for a company to say that they, you know, what they are their Hall of Fame? I mean, you, you you probably have to you probably have to start with the criteria of a certain amount of time that the brand has been in existence. Right. That's the yeah. probably be a starting point. Like, right. but I mean, you're going to have to. Cause I looked at the 30 year rule with that one as well. That was another yeah, one. Yeah. 30 year rule. It's, it's tough to, to do that. I mean, it's gotta be like, I don't know if it's long, long standing brand, like long standing brands from the company that, you know, are still, highly regarded but then it gets really gray at that point and then what you're going to end up having is you know as the scar industry changes and you know maybe lines only last five years and then companies are you know doing new stuff to kind of keep the brand moving along that doesn't that no longer is a criteria that's really reachable kind of a thing so i what it is I think what happens is what happens in everything, right? If somebody has good intentions putting it together, they have the they have the process of 
uh, I know it, I'll know it when I see it kind of a thing. And then as time goes along, that person is not part of it anymore. And now it goes to other people to decide that and they see it differently. And then it, it just becomes a muddled mess. So, um, you know, I'd say, I'd say that I, you could tell me a, a name and I would say yes or no. And I would just come up with some for formula in my head to decide it. And that would be that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I so, really don't, I wouldn't really know how to put a criteria to it. No, no, it's, it's a tough one. You know, I was looking at what Dave did. So he put three into the hall of fame. Um, he had Cuesta Ray, Davidoff, and the, a brand called Cabanas. I, I didn't have a problem with Cuesta Ray and Davidoff. I, I'm okay yeah. with those. There's a lot of history with those. The problem I had with Cabanas was that are you putting them in as the Cuban brand or the U.S. brand? Because it's only right. been a, like, like basically um, it's being made by um, J.R. Cigars. Uh -huh. with my, and my father's making that cigar. But it's only right. been like in the market for a couple of years. And I don't think you could put – that would be like putting – if you put Monte Cristo in, right? This is where brands get tricky. I, I just – yeah, that's separate. I think the Cuba brand has to be separate from the U.S. brand. That would be yeah. my only – So, and, and if you look at Cabanas, by the way, there is a really incredible history of that brand. So I know a lot of people right. may not be familiar with it. But the problem is all that history has been in Cuba. So yeah, and recognize the Cuban brand. That would be my feeling on that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad cigar by Pippin either. I've had it. Yeah. yeah. All right. And the last one, this is the one I'm most interested in with you. A cigar for the Hall of Fame. Wow. This is probably one of the toughest things you'd probably be able to figure out. I mean. <laughs> this is really hard because, yeah, it's, do you put limiteds I, in? Do you put, like, right? I mean, how do you do it is like, with that? I I have come, I've come to a, belief in cigars that there are no um there are no long-standing blends every crop year is different and you can do whatever you can try to do to uh make it as similar as you can uh it just doesn't happen to me i i think i've just gotten to the point where i'm like this cigar in this batch at this point in time is this and yep. next if i come back to it again in, in a year or two i cannot expect that it's going to be the same it's yeah. just it's going to be just what it's, it is at, the, at that point in time it's it's hard yeah it's too I mean, it's too hard i think to make it and i i know that there's you know companies that have very long-standing brands um but i think to if you're not smoking it like on a constant basis to really track it like i couldn't tell you if i smoked an oliva v eight years ago and then i smoked one four years later and i smoked one now like that they would that they were still the same i couldn't tell you that yeah you know so i don't know um don't it would i don't know it would just have to be the set I, I think it would just have to be based on the success of, of a of a particular cigar line or right. over a long period of time Right, right. I, I think it is. But I think if, if, like, for example, you know, if there's a really, really good limited, right, Um, like La Polina Goldie 2 or You're a Snake, something like that, then maybe I say, um, all right, but then I just say it has to be for that year. And maybe, you know, maybe that's the way you do it. You do it by vintage, but that's really hard to do as well. Yeah. Because you don't have a lot of, like, all the boxes aren't validated. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's, it's it's the I think that's the hardest one to do yeah. is the is the uh, is a single cigar. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's very, and then you know you have to go with. I think you have to go size with that too. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's you know just just a, a cigar that actually changes the game like. But even then, and maybe it's just a, a vitola that is the thing. It's not the actual cigar. It's just the vitola that made the impact on the industry, or uh, a new varietal of tobacco, or something like that. You know, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. All right, that was a good analysis, Alan. Aaron, thanks. So, uh, we're at the end of the show. I want to thank our audience first. So, as always, thank uh. The folks at Hoot and Young, that uh, was a really uh, great conversation we had. I, I'm uh, glad we got them on. Uh, thanks to uh, you as well, as always. Yeah. Uh, I know we did a little more sports tonight. It just worked out like that. Um, so appreciate the audience who hung in there. Uh, and then next week. Suffer- go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, no, I was going to say about next week. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, and then we'll uh, talk about uh, it. TBD Sermons. <laughs> I don't, I will, yep. will not yet next week, so. We'll talk about and it. then Monday night on Developing yeah. Palettes, we're gonna have yep. the 2023 recap show that Koopy will be joining us, and uh, Eric from Cigar Dojo will also be joining us. So, uh, with the Developing Palettes team, so we're gonna recap uh, our annual recap of the cigar year on the media side. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, look, I'm, I'm always looking forward to that, so very excited. I'm actually doing Smoke Night Live tomorrow. I was a fill in, uh, so nice. I'm doing uh, Smoke uh, Stash of Trash. <laughs> There you go. So, nice. uh, uh, well, I know when, I know I'm gonna I know he's gonna throw some. I know some of the stuff I think he's gonna throw at me too. So I'm like, yeah, like, it's all right. He's gonna, he's gonna try to get. But I'm gonna be honest, uh, as well with that. So, and then Tuesday, Carney's doing the annual uh, uh big game, aka Super Bowl show with Bear and I. Nice. So, so we nice. have that one in uh as well. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about uh with that. So um, that's it. So again, nice. thanks everybody. Uh, that's going to wrap up primetime episode 294 to the annals of history for this Thursday, January 25th. Now Friday, January 26th in the Eastern time zone. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. See you guys.